0: Here we are with another episode of the GGTMC. Uh, of course, the two All-American boys... Uh, Jacques uh, and Ramon. Are, pardon me? Jacques and Ramon Rougeau, aren't they? That is correct. I am Ramon. He is Jacques. We are the flying, famous Rougeau brothers. Um, of course, you're not hearing the dulcet tones of the one and only Sam Ury. Uh He's had a few personal things that have kept him away this week. He did want to be here, but we the show must go on. So uh, good friend, fellow gentleman, Chris has decided to join us for the episode. We're going to have an all-Asian episode. Um, and uh, yeah, the two films we've chosen are Detective D and The Mystery of the Phantom Flame, which is a film from this year. It's directed by Choi Hawk, very famous director uh, to any Hong Kong film fans. And Chris has picked a film, and I'll let Chris talk about that film, at least to introduce uh, here what we're covering on his end.
1: Um, Okay, I picked a film, Nine Souls, by uh, Toshiaki Toyoda. I was lucky enough to see this at uh, Toronto International Film Festival. I also saw his Blue Spring the year before. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't seen his other two, and uh, I haven't seen Porno Star. But yeah, with this and Blue Spring, um, he's easily one of my favorite uh, modern Japanese directors which I'm sure we'll go into later.
0: Yeah, no, we definitely will. Um, I like him as well. Uh, he's a good film. I haven't seen much beyond that. I thought I had. I was uh, mixing him up with someone else. But uh, yeah, so there you go. We have a couple uh, very interesting films to talk about today. Um, I do want to say uh, just a couple things before we go into the episode. Um, the first thing, is uh, very sad news for genre film fans, I'm sure most of us have heard by now, but one of the baddest chicks to ever grace the screen has passed away at the age of 75, that of course being Tura Satana, one of the original uh, pussycats from Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, Uh, she worked with Ted V. Michaels uh, a fair bit, Uh, of course Russ Meyer as we talked about, and several more uh, I had a chance to meet her at uh, Rue Morgue festival of Fear and she was an absolute doll of a woman um, and good friend of the show Ken Johnson actually broke that news and I on the weekend I was pretty saddened to hear that. I'm sure you're a fan as well Chris
1: absolutely yeah i was I was surprised how much press it got like it's nice that uh she's remembered as fondly as she is for not being a common name amongst other people other than cult fans so that's kind of nice but yeah, it's also very sad that it had to happen that she passed on
0: yeah oh no definitely and I think um in the upcoming weeks I'm I'm definitely going to do an episode with uh with Sammy you know I want to cover one of her films maybe Doll Squad I'm a pretty big fan of that one I think it's a really fun little film one of Michael's best films it should (laughs) it should be said so um yeah and beyond that I think um uh something on a personal note uh, that uh, I do want to say. Uh, yesterday, of course, was the Super Bowl, and uh, my team, the Green Bay Packers, my beloved Green Bay Packers, um, beat Rick's team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and uh, it was um, it was everything I'd hoped it would be, and more. As they say, I've waited 14 years since the last time they were there, and uh, they lost that Super Bowl to Denver. And um, in any, in any event, uh, it was a great game. It it reminded me why I love sport. Um, because sport it is at its purest when you get away all the bullshit and all the, the tweeting and the the nonsense in the news uh regarding athletes um i think sometimes it is it it provides better theater than anything can because it's real life it's real men um and and and, and women of course depending on the sport you're watching uh triumphing uh you know in the face of uh You know, intense pressure. And and I was moved to tears, I I will say. I'm not afraid to admit that. And it, you know, uh, really reminded me how much I love sports. So congratulations to my Green Bay Packers. Um, And in saying that, uh, why don't we talk about what the uncool cat has been watching as of late?
1: Okay. Um, Yeah, I didn't watch the Super Bowl yesterday. I'm unfortunately uh, not a big football fan. But now the Little Wayne song, Green and Yellow, makes sense to me. (laughs) So that, that that was like an eye-opener. I remember, oddly enough, hearing it in a, in a comic book store. The guy who doesn't watch the Super Bowl heard it in a comic book store. And thought, like, wow, he's just singing about colors now? Like, it's it kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, he drinks syrup and Mountain Dew. So I thought maybe it was those colors or something. So um, yesterday, instead of the Super Bowl, I watched a movie called The Troll Hunter, a Norwegian film, one of... Uh, those sort of found footage films um it's i, I expected more I, I really enjoyed it first of all um i expected a horror film but i was pleasantly surprised i i like that it wasn't so much horror have you seen rare exports
0: no i've been meaning to it was at tiff i know vish saw it a numbers game and truth be told at the time i kind of felt like you know i don't know i just wasn't feeling it at the time but it got good enough praise that i will see it at some point
1: yeah, this is kind of like that, too. I, I, I enjoyed Rare Ex- Exports. I enjoyed this. They're sort of, I kind of expected in both cases for them to be horror films. And they're sort of dark fantasies with sort of a black comedy element to it. So, And the special effects are great and everything, so I'd recommend it. Um, I wouldn't recommend What Doesn't Kill You, uh, Mark Ruffalo, uh, Ethan Hawke film, um, True Crime Story really wasn't that involving, but I will say, I was never an Ethan Hawk fan, but I like him more and more lately, now that he plays a skis bag. I think he plays that a lot better than
0: a heroic lead. Yeah, he used to play the mopey, kind of sensitive poet hero a lot in films, and yeah. now that it's almost like reality has kind of morphed him into the scumbag, and as far as casting goes, because of what happened with him and Uma, um...
1: Yeah, he's I, great as that.
0: Well, he is fantastic because he's, he's got us a bit of a Weasley face. Um, I really like both actors. I'm a huge Mark Ruffalo fan. Um, it's mm-hmm. disappointing to hear that. I didn't know much about this film, to be honest. So it's it's a bit of a bummer.
1: Yeah, it's not terrible. Like, uh, I don't know, I'd give it something like 6.5 or something. Like, it's it's by all means, if you like crime films and you like the two actors, I'm sure there's stuff you will enjoy in it. Just It was one of those movies that... Uh, by the end I, it's it was familiar territory mm-hmm. um, wow another for the guy who likes everything uh, Cropsey I watched which I didn't really <laughs> like either yeah um, I, have you seen that one yet?
0: no again I haven't meant to it's on Netflix instant um, I've, I've heard very tepid things about it so I'm in no rush to see it
1: yeah it's takes it, it just it's I think probably I'd just say very very unfocused um, I don't at the end of the movie, it was just like, so what were they trying to say? What were like, what were they trying
0: to accomplish? Um, I think that's a problem if it's a documentary. I think you have to kind of have a clear thesis uh, as to what your your documentary is about. You can't kind of meander.
1: Agreed. I, I think like with JFK, for example, where Oliver Stone had all these different theories floating around, and it had a solid core to it with uh, Kevin Costner. Uh, jim garrison he was playing yeah it had a solid solid core to sort of and it was just throwing these things up in the air this didn't have a solid uh core for everything to connect to the whole propsy thing doesn't really play um it seems like they had an ending in mind that they couldn't get to so rather than rework it they just kind of let it peter out but uh yeah so all in all i wasn't a fan uh it's it's fine but it's nothing spectacular um, I did love, um, I don't know if you've heard of the found footage festival hosted oh, by, yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of their DVDs and they came into town a little while last week and, uh, they, it's, what's his name? Nick Pruhar. And, uh, I keep forgetting that my wife has a crush on, them. uh, the one guy, another guy, they're hilarious. Like not only like there's uh, TV carnage, TV wreck, my, oh, like all these different mixtape things. Yep. I think the thing that makes it really good is they're hilarious. They're really funny guys. Um, this might take a while because I've watched about 250 films since last I was on the show.
0: Well, so I have seven hours, so if it's
1: six and a half,
0: <laughs> I'm fine with that. Um. <laughs> uh,
1: I'll just mention a couple other good ones since I sort of uh, uh, watched Cat Ladies, a uh, documentary from Toronto, mentioning uh, documentaries. That was a good documentary. It was interesting to see these people who are very attached to their
0: feline companions. Oh, and uh, Should be interesting. I, uh, I can picture the shut-ins now.
1: Yeah, yeah. It gets criticism, which I don't necessarily agree with, that we're supposed to feel superior to these people. But I don't know if that... I think that depends on what you bring into the movie. If you yeah. are that kind of person who is going to feel... Like Cinemania was another one that was like that, where a lot of people said, well, at least I'm not these people. But, you know, you look at them and you sort of... I think... If you're empathetic towards them, you can see the loneliness in Cat Ladies anyway.
0: That's that's kind of like uh, Grey Gardens a little bit. I think it's very easy, and I think some documentaries do fall into exploiting that or making fun of that. But if it's handled the right way, you you can kind of strip the the odd or unconventional by typical standards uh, lifestyle mm-hmm. and, and really see the, the kind of this the sadness or the poignancy in the documentary.
1: Or even in Cinemania's case, which I, I know I'm not talking about it, but I did see the, and maybe it's because I'm a big movie fan, too, that they did find beauty in these movies where people think they're wasting their life. They're finding something emotional in these movies that just other people aren't seeing, and the same goes with cats. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a certain point where it gets too much, I think anyone would admit, but you know what these cats do bring to these ladies' lives You know, is something yeah, almost touching.
0: Oh, sorry. I was going to make a joke that you, you wouldn't have cared about because you're not a basketball fan. I was going to say you sound like Rasheed Wallace, who was a basketball player with the Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers there. There I go. Uh, with the Portland Trailblazers, the Pistons. He he had a, a knack for calling everyone cats, like guys. He'd be like, yeah, those cats are, you know, this or that. And oh, and the said, uncool cat over here. And, of course, the yes, the uncool cat. Uh,
1: and I love so. pussy. am um, Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> uh, you're going to make me repeat that? <laughs> I just said, and I love pussy in a Ooh. funny way. <laughs> that was not funny. Even <laughs> um, yeah, thank, thank goodness. So I got to say that twice.
0: <laughs> I fucking left, you twisted and it went on. <laughs> <laughs> repeat
1: that again? <laughs> just so if in case anyone missed it. Um, and I'll just mention quickly, I saw Full Alert, a Ringo of film, recommended... Um, One of these crime films with a um, a cop who's dedicated to catch a criminal who's dedicated to getting away with it, and a very my first Dandy Sedaris film, Malibu Express, which was it was hilarious. It was a it was a lot of fun. Softcore sucks nowadays. It just sucks. There's no life to it. It's boring. It's just this emotionless tripe, and it's all the same. Um, This reminds me of a time when softcore was fun. You know there was.
0: I'm sorry, I totally cut you off. Go ahead.
1: Oh, you know the Russ Myers, and even stuff like joysticks, and you know when sex didn't necessarily mean like. It, I, if you watch Softcore nowadays, it's a trial. It's just padding until the next like sex scene, where it's just it was a it was a celebration. So, and you can tell Andy Sedaris is having a good time. The actors are very funny. It's it, it just an all around. It, it makes me wish Softcore was this good. Uh, it's today.
0: The problem is softcore nowadays is Kenny G, white satin sheets, and slow motion with soft focus shots. Back then, much like porn behind the green door, do whatever film I mean, you know, we have Zom and the like that are real aficionados of the seventies stuff. Um, those were interesting films and I think that's the problem is there was such a distinct division now between hardcore and softcore that um, it's like they're just fuck films, and the softcore just tries to get away with as much flowery bullshit as they can mm-hmm. to get on cable. I don't know. It's unfortunate. You're right. Um,
1: I, I agree. Yeah. It's it, it, well, even if you look, they don't have to be fun. You look at the Pinku films,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
1: look at the talent that sprung from Nine Souls. There's actors in Nine Souls that I think come from the Pinku, um, and they're they're viewed. I, maybe not so much, but like Japan views a pinku film the same way as we'd regard regard a genre. Like I don't know, maybe the Western. Like it's not as vilified either. Like are there is, any
0: pinku westerns? That uh, that's the question.
1: That is a good question. I I don't know. I'm sorry.
0: That would be <laughs> incredible. It should bring new meaning to chaps in a Western film. I think.
1: Maybe Mika will do that uh, as a sequel to Django Western or what was it? Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, Sukiyako Suki Django.
1: Too. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's essentially the last couple I've watched.
0: Okay. Uh I've watched not that much, man. It's just been I've been s i have been I was sick as fuck. We've had snow. It's been kind of a shitty run, man. The end of I petered out at the end of January and into February. Um but I have watched a fair bit of stuff. Keep in mind this is almost two weeks worth. Um I watched Blue Valentine, and uh, my wife and I really dug it, man. I think that it's a shame that Gosling isn't nominated. I know Williams has gotten a lot of acclaim, and she should. I think she's actually a really great actress who picks her roles well. But Gosling picks great roles. He doesn't do any shitty Hollywood films. He tends to be someone who's serious about his craft. Uh, and that can sound pretentious or not, but I think Lulu, that's what it is. He's passionate about his craft and serious about it and picks good films. Um, I really enjoyed it. Some people say, well, it doesn't really say anything. It doesn't show us this marriage dissolving and i think for me i think it doesn't need to show that because sometimes there's marriages that do just dissolve for no real reason over time they dissolve i've seen that happen time and time again where the the sparkle just goes and you don't need a reason for that so i think that's one thing that some people uh, see as a, a shortfall but i don't i think but anyway i think it's a great film uh, strong recommend um Coming soon, the history of the movie trailer, very bland, uh, didn't really care for it. Little Caesar, uh, if it wasn't for Edward G. Robinson, I think this film would be, you know, I would have probably turned it off. Uh, He's fantastic, Um, but I think the film itself is, you know, it's very much something, everything that I find wrong with films from that time feels very wooden. And the way it's edited, it's like there's that, you know, the the camera will go to a, a couple actors on screen and then it's like they're looking at the camera for a second before they start speaking. You know, it's kind oh of yeah, the,
1: yeah, the, definitely the uh, sort of staged.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it just felt very staged, and felt like the people were still getting used to what the whole concept of a film was. Um, but but Edward G. Robinson was great in it. Um, I watched The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. Curious. Uh, it, you know what this is? You know what you know what this is? This is Jersey Shore for the Appalachian set.
1: I'm glad you. I'm glad you said. Did, would you say you enjoyed
0: it, or uh, I don't know if "enjoy" is the right word. I really like. Made liked, me sad. It, it made me. T- Here's what happened. I was enjoying it. I was loving the wacky shenanigans until it showed the children, and I thought to myself, "Holy fuck! These people have kids. They're railing lines. Um, they're cussing a lot. Um, you know, they're talking about violence. I just you know, I'm not a very conservative person, but." I think when it comes to your children, you have to protect them and lead by example and be a good parent for them and a good role model. Absolutely. And when I saw them talking about, oh, this motherfucker, I was going to kill them, and the, the the one sister, uh, I can't remember her name, the youngest one with the quote-unquote great tits, uh, which I think is up <laughs> yeah, for debate. The, a yeah, the looker.
1: Uh, uh, was that the one that got out of jail maybe? Yeah,
0: no, no, not her. The one uh, The one that was pregnant that lost her baby to the
1: uh Yeah, okay, the, I know. The, the one who did lie. Yeah, that
0: was yeah. – Bit of a bit of a good turnaround for her, thank goodness But yeah. uh, you know what, I was saddened by this And I, I think that they celebrate That kind of lifestyle Too much, and listen, I don't have any problems With anyone being poor, I come from a poor family I grew up wearing Salvation Army clothes um, Right into high school um, But my mother You know, pressed my clothes, cleaned my clothes You know, you don't need to be Rich or even middle class to have A strong sense of right and wrong um, But I just felt like it's these people who celebrate exploiting the system and you know yeah. you see Hank Williams the Third ironically saying oh the last of a dying breed and they don't need nothing yeah. from nobody I think actually they need everything from everybody
1: absolutely you know? they're and, made out to be rebels when really they're you know I know people like this too I'm not from the south but I certainly know exploiters I know people who <sighs> are abusers and I don't know. The whole fact that we're supposed to yell yee-haw as these people are destroying their lives and the lives of those around
0: them. And their children. And, and their
1: children. It, it made me feel – and I like Jessica White, the dancing outlaw, I thought was fantastic. It was uh, fantastic. Um, but this one, yeah, it was one of those ones where where we talked with cat ladies. I was wondering, are we supposed to be laughing at these people? Are we supposed to be celebrating them? Why would we be celebrating them? Um it, it really was a little like both me and my wife watched it, and we were, yeah, we were kind of. But I will give it one thing: that had I not watched this before *Winter's Bone*, I would have thought the character of Cheerdrop and a couple other characters seemed maybe a little <laughs> over the top. Whereas now, I like, yeah, those people exist. I, I love *Winter's Bone*,
0: and oh yeah, it's a I fantastic se- film.
1: Yeah, seeing the wild and wonderful Whites of West Virginia before that is, like, it really helped Winter's Bone a lot. Like, I was not doubting anyone's character whatsoever in that.
0: Yeah, and and, and to be fair, I, and to be clear, I don't want to get into a whole class thing and a political debate or socio-political thing or the system lets people down. I don't want to get into all that. I come from a fucking very working-class uh, background, and I, like I said, I lament to see, you know— these people embarrassing their their name, I mean you have to that little pride about who you are and 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 you know for your children and for yourself and you comes when you have to pick yourself up off your ass and do right by your family and you know the mother the 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 old like the matriarch of the family yeah. I felt bad for her and I think there was a I think there were some wonderful stories in there. Like she raised like thirty five local kids or something that their parents had abandoned. I, I thought that too. was a wonderful story. I wish they had of expanded on that instead of putting her in situations wonderful. where her where her wacky kids weren't fucking railing lines off each other and blowing supers into each other's faces.
1: At her birthday.
0: At her birthday like, no less.
1: Yeah, it was I think it was the whole fact like had it been a look at these people rather than a celebration of these people mm-hmm. i maybe would have liked it a lot more Yeah, it's hard I'm,
0: look with hard I'm questions
1: always interested to see yeah i'm always interested to see how other people you know live whether it be other cultures us watching films from all different cultures documentaries it is always interesting to see other people's values the way other people and to sort of celebrate this yeah i i guess it sounds like both me and you aren't a big fan of the criminal lifestyle or
0: anything. no I, I i'm not at all man it's you know but anyway i guess we you know you've kind of heard what we feel about it um i watched uh of course um actually i watched backyard which is a film with jimmy smiths takes place in mexico but a serial killer in chihuahua i believe um it was a solid rental. My wife and I both enjoyed. I like seeing films that take place in Mexico uh, because I think there's a lot of rich uh, history there and a lot of a strong visual flair. And I think that there's a lot of great stories to be said about the, the police and the state and and uh, the people that are caught in the middle sometimes of some of the things that go on from the higher ups. And um, but it was okay. You know, wasn't wouldn't earth shattering, but it was serviceable. Sorcerer and Forced Entry. We'll talk about on the next yeah, episode. Uh, sorry, what was that?
1: I was just going to say the atmosphere of Mexico. Is oh, absolutely. Also, yeah. Have you, I, I was also going to ask, I don't know if you've seen La Cucaracha, the Eric Roberts film that ooh, takes place no. in
0: Mexico. No.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I recommend it anyway,
0: but Very <laughs> good. I'll have to check that out. Um, no, I'll have to yeah,
1: check
0: that it out. Uh, all right. Um, totally took you off your line. Go, go, go back to. Go, go gadget film list. Um, I think this might be is this the last one. Yeah, this is the last one. Yakuza Deka, the assassin. This is a Sunny Chiba film. Uh, I believe this is maybe the second in a series. Fuck, I had a lot of fun with this one, man. It's um, oh really. It's it's it, imagine if Naked Gun was a swinging late '60s, early '70s Japanese film with more violence than comedy, but still smart and self-aware. Um, wow.
1: I, Is that I, the one where the poster's Sonny Chiba, like, firing a machine gun in, like, a red outfit?
0: Uh, I know that poster. I can't put, I can't place it right now. And I know what John Jung's saying it in his head right now as he's uh, <laughs> listening to this episode. No, you idiots, it's this. But, uh, because I mean, that guy's a walking encyclopedia, but, um... Yeah. I can't remember, but I had a lot of fun with it, man. I mean, I'm not saying it's the greatest film of all time, but a solid seven and a half. It was like 2.30 in the morning. I was really tired, but I was like, let me try to get one more in. And I, I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's a fun film. So, um, yeah. something going on my to-watch list. Oh, yeah. I'm really curious to see. I think you'll quite enjoy it, man. It knows what it is. Um, really fun. Uh, and that's all I've watched. And in saying that, let's take a break. And what do you want to talk about first?
1: Uh. Uh, what, wait, is there anything you'd prefer to talk about first?
0: Pop music uh, <laughs> let's, uh, uh, let, Nine Souls? Let's Nine Souls it is We're we'll right back with some Toyota Nine Souls
1: I like how I ask And then I make a suggestion
0: <laughs> Yes but. And that is it We are going to break Hi
1: I'm Coffin John of the vCinema webcast
0: And I'm Josh of buriedcellulite.net
1: We're from the vCinema podcast a podcast dedicated to Asian, cult, and genre cinema. We cover all genres from Shaw Brothers and Roman porno to heroic bloodshed and contemporary South Korean cinema. You can find us at vcinema.variedcelluloid.net or in the iTunes store under vcinema.
0: That website, again, is
1: vcinema.variedcelluloid.net.
0: so the first pick uh hijacked me at the end of uh segment then
1: <laughs> i just looked at what page was open in my notes <laughs> i was doing a couple things and yeah i'm
0: not really that rude being the canadian he is author he goes you know we can do uh the detective Dia film for instance no man it's cool we'll roll with uh, nine souls so nine souls you picked this film why don't you tell me why you picked this film uh tell us a little bit about it, synopsize it and i'd be happy to get into it
1: All right, uh, let me read from the IMDb synopsis, which hopefully isn't too spoilerific, which it sometimes can be. Um, Nine convicts escape from prison. Most are convicted murderers. They commandeer a van from a strip club. Uh, That's all you really need to know. Um, They sort of, uh, it's these nine convicts who escape together and uh, sort of what happens to them as... uh, during their escape, and you know, so many prison escape movies are about like them eluding uh, the authorities and stuff. Where this is a lot more about them, um, which I think the reason I picked it um, is I think there's a lot going on in this movie, right, alone from it being, let alone from it being just an entertaining film, and you know, you can see the director's uh, visual. Flair, and I think the soundtrack's great, and the performances are great. I think there's a lot being said in the movie too, on social level, on like a uh, spiritual level, um, and I'm sure I haven't even caught it all. So I, I just think it's a very strong film.
0: Yeah. Oh, it definitely is, and of course, Toshiaki Toyota it should be said is the director. Uh, I know a lot of our fan, um, our listeners are fans of his, especially ones that enjoy Japanese film. Um, I thought I had seen more of his films. I've only seen this in Blue Spring now. Um, so I definitely want to see about everything he's done. Blue Spring, of course, is great. At some point, we'll cover it. Um, yeah. And, you know, for the longest time, I thought he, not Kiyoshi Kurosawa, directed uh, Bright Future as well. I think it was just because the, ti- the time frame and the mood of the film... Uh, but then again, that was a pretty common theme that's run throughout Japanese cinema. Um, you know, the through the
1: Yeah, the, the young people's Disaffected sort of youth, yeah. uh,
0: you know, isolation. Uh, you know. But uh, anyway, on the film. So I watched this film on three hours sleep this morning. I was basking in the glow of uh, my beloved Packers Super Bowl victory, watching the highlights, watching Rich Eisen and Mooch and Dion and Michael Irvin talk about the game and... And uh, all that good stuff, and I just couldn't go to sleep. I was too uh, wound up, um, so I paid the price, and I got up, dragged my ass out of bed, and uh, and uh, watched it. And I will be forthright in saying that um, it's a testament to the quality of the film that, uh, despite being on three hours sleep, and this isn't, um, you know, this isn't uh, Ogami Ido and uh, Daiguro, uh, you know, jumping around on screen. This is very much, uh, although there's some pace your things and it really is an introspective film uh and a, you know uh so for for me to have three hours sleep and it to absolutely hold my attention is certainly a testament to the film but um yeah so this film has a lot of for me a lot of familiar faces uh people that you know you would have seen in, in a number of other japanese films uh from the 90s onwards or even back further when you get um i believe it's yoshi is it you know what is it yoshio harada Who's yeah. the, Is that right? He's the, the principal. The older, That's yeah. right. I know he did a lot of uh, kind of tough guy films in the uh, the 80s and 90s. Um, the big name from, you know, who I was surprised wasn't in it more was Jun Kunimura. Uh, he's in it in the beginning. Uh, I guess he would have been the 10th soul. But uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to say too much about that. But um, a lot of familiar faces for people. Of course, um, was Ryoma Matsuda was in uh, Blue Spring, I believe.
1: Yeah, he's a very interesting young Japanese actor to me. But I I I think he's I saw him first at TIFF uh, as well in uh, Taboo, the uh Oshima film where he's the I guess uh, the samurais. He's sort of the boy the cuz it's a gay samurai film. He's sort of the object of their affection and then like he's done stuff from like Karaoke Murder or or Karaoke Terror. Uh, this Blue Spring, uh, another prison film, uh, Big Bang Love Juvenile. He's just he's a very interesting
0: young actor. And he has a look that that I think started started out more androgynous. He almost reminds me of that. Uh, I think I believe he's Japanese gackt or whatever. I don't know. He's like a, I think he's like a, a, I think I believe he's a musician. Um, mm-hmm. gackt I may not even be saying right. G A C K T. He's no, I don't in film, know. He's in films now. Anyway, he kind of reminds me of like that androgynous look, but he's kind of gotten, gotten out of that as he's gotten a little bit older. But um, anyway, a lot of familiar faces. Um, uh, among them, oh, what's his name? The Wee Man.
1: Uh, oh, yes. The Doctor. Fuck.
0: I can't remember his name.
1: Uh, I can't either. Sorry. It's a
0: shame. It's, it's, I'm cooked right now. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> So a lot of familiar faces, and I don't mean on drugs, of course. This is a drug-free show, people. Um, but I do want to ask you, uh, do you know if the number 13 uh, has any significance in Japanese culture?
1: Whether it's an unlucky number, you mean?
0: Is it unlucky, or is it lucky, or does it mean anything in particular beyond the sort of standard Western uh, notion of being unlucky?
1: I, I don't know. I know there's cell number 13. Was it – was it uh, I, used again during the movie it, it
0: wasn't but I, it was prominently enough displayed in the hands of a competent filmmaker that i thought there maybe had to be something being said there especially in light of how f- i think philosophical the film is um, i just didn't know if there's yeah more i just than took I, it as,
1: oh i was uh, just gonna say i just when i watched i took it as being an unlucky number but yeah you're right i never thought in japanese context i just saw it like 13 it's kind of ominous
0: Right. Yeah. Maybe so. I mean, you know, again, I'm sure some of the listeners could clarify that. But, uh, uh, you know, one thing that strikes me is how different the penal system is uh, in Japan. You know, we're not in the pe- in the prison very long, but it's it's uh, it, it's almost like a uh, a hostel of sorts. Yeah. You know. Um.
1: Well, I. Sorry.
0: Again, Chris. Again. <laughs> Damn it. Thanks. Anyway, sorry. You were gonna say.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, it's interesting because I guess in J- J- Japanese prisons are much more interested in rehabilitation than punishment. Mm-hmm. And I guess that is is how their cells are. I guess maybe, I don't know if it's right from the beginning or uh, later on, but it is to sort of reintegrate them back into society. Um, so it's, you know, dealing with more people. And yeah, it's much more communal. And it's sort of that whole idea of uh, Japan... The group being more than the individual, sort of thing. So they wouldn't want to send, you know, a loose cannon out there. They're, they do try and rehabilitate. Um, is what I Tom Mez did a commentary track and he mentioned that 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 is what they're like in uh,
0: in Japan. Seems like a less uh, dangerous place, but then again, that's a f- very small snippet of film to to you know make a sweeping statement. Like, I'd be more comfortable in a Japanese prison than an American prison. But uh,
1: oh yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. I don't. I anal rape doesn't seem as prominent a uh, you know worry. A, a
0: daily uh, yeah worry, but um yeah uh I, I one thing I noticed early on as far as a technical thing that you know between Blue Spring and this. Um, is that toyota uses a lot of uh bird's eye view shots and then also in turn a lot of close ups in his films and he uses them both to pretty great effect to kind of show things unfolding or just the spaces people are immersed in or not just emotion necessarily with people with close ups but um you know intimacy other things i guess but uh I, I you know it's those two shots he really does favor yeah
1: yeah I definitely uh that the bird's eye i whether it be looking up or looking down, um, he likes those sort of wide expanse shots and uh, the close-ups. He definitely, I, for example, with uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, I completely forget his name. The guy uh, Kunima, Kunimura, um,
0: when he's giving the
1: yeah. yeah, when he's giving the speech on shit and constipation and stuff, how it gets right in close to him at there. It really it really punches up the scene.
0: Yeah, it does, and that shit speech turned out to be very self-prophesizing, um, you know, because of the the Great Escape that our our nine men uh, yeah venture through the sewer tunnels and uh, all that uh, pleasantry. Now, and it does a great little you know stylish flair. A very simple thing, but something I always like it. Kind of has the freeze frame with a quick bio of each of them, so we can kind of get. Um, a quick a preconceived notion and just a quick overall impression of, of what each one is and the preconceived notion comes from the crime which I think is intentional to to show you know maybe that things aren't always what they seem of course but um you know in any event I always like that just the freeze frame very simple stylistic thing that uh, Toyota does uh,
1: yeah and I think it was done really well by him too like. Uh the, the music and everything and the way even they're superimposed over top some of the graphics, it, it it's really uh, gets the people going. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does. And I think because you have nine people, you have to stop for a moment. And it's almost like that's the most say, okay, look at the face, remember the face, remember what this guy did. You yeah. need to kind of do that to process because – you know when you have nine people thrown at you at once're you're, you're kind of scrambling around trying to know okay well he's is he this guy or is he that guy and they do a fairly good job I mean it's a little bit confusing at first but that well also, helps. well I was going to say the
1: fact that they all have prison haircuts and they're all wearing the same uniform yes. certainly doesn't help either
0: yeah no definitely I definitely and you can't help but notice when they do the bios of course the juxtapositioning of um, of one young man who killed his father and one older man who killed his son. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something right away when I said that oh let's see how this plays out and and they don't go down Toyota thankfully and you mentioned this before when you were just kind of synopsizing the film one of the greatest things about this film probably the greatest thing about the film is Toyota doesn't rely this really isn't a prison escape film it, it's it's more it forces these men to reflect on their lives and the things that were important in their lives and the mistakes they've made because they're on borrowed time before the prospect of them being locked up again or killed uh, comes to pass um, and I think that you never once as far as I can recall maybe other than one scene or two scenes see the police chasing them maybe a news report but it's never really even brought up amongst the men they talk about what they're going to do yeah. have to right the wrong or go see this person or go see that person and I really think it's a great it was a great thing for him to do because far too often and I, I love a great prison break movie as much as the next guy but it's nice that this isn't that movie
1: Yeah, it's absolutely a different type of... It uses uh, the prison escape conceit to tell a story of uh, freedom, what is freedom, and these people constantly trying to escape um, what they originally tried to escape in life sent them to prison, um, whether it be escape their father. It it seems a lot of these people have done something to someone who's close to them, whether it be their father, their son, their friends in a biker gang, their lover... Um, so it's like this escape and then it puts them in prison and they have to escape that. And it's like, uh, what is freedom? What is, you know, they're constantly trying to escape.
0: And not just that, but they have to find true spiritual freedom and inner peace. So in a sense, another kind of escape or freedom through resolving those things that have put them there in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's uh, these escapes they do before are kind of meaningless. They are. Uh, yeah, and the freedom they achieve is kind of meaningless or even self defeating So, yeah, it's, it's the prison movie. I guess in an interview, Toyota said uh, that he heard about in Texas, a group of prisoners escaped, and they never separated. Like, they stayed together, where you'd think immediately you'd want to separate to avoid getting caught. But they stayed together, and that sort of just stuck with them, and that was sort of, I guess, the seed that started nine souls
0: well that's one of the things that's most compelling like you said because far too often these films it's played a certain way you get your good guy with a couple people maybe they'll throw one of the bad guys in with them just to create some some pop um, yeah get, some you know,
1: arguing and stuff Some arguing
0: and stuff you know you get some fuck-ups that are together that get caught first and you know but these guys all stay together which is interesting and it just wouldn't have happened in a western uh, oh, a there's no free.
1: question i think there's a reason they stay together and Toyo uh, toyota's grand scheme but i'll
0: yes. talk more about that. yeah yeah uh they said um, there's a line when they're talking about uh holes and someone says a man has nine holes i don't know if you did this but i sit there and i counted twice and i can only count seven holes i counted nine you, um uh, I, mind you i had three hours sleep in my defense let's let me do them on air right now so all right to his eyes right oh i know what i forgot now fuck
1: what was uh, it you forgot my yours? My, nost-
0: my nostrils
1: and they said women could have more, which I thought. If you're counting the pee hole, that, the, no. the
0: urethra is is the, the vagine. Right. The ure- you know, but then add the
1: nipples on top of that. Like, oh, go. they got the way more milk, holes extreme,
0: than us. Absolutely. milk. so milk. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I think <laughs> very, so,
1: very insightful. <laughs> yes, women have more than nine holes.
0: That's the the line I think we should all take from the show. Uh, so eyes. Yeah. Anyway, there's the nine. Fuck. I caught it twice. What a jump I am.
1: Oh, uh, I just, I could, I was trying to figure out, it shows how stupid I am where, wait, we both have pee holes. <laughs> we both have nine holes. He's yeah. trying to, tra- Oh, the nipples. And then there's the part you put your penis in, which I, it just, they, yeah, they definitely, I think, uh, biology will, uh, prove me right that they have more than nine holes.
0: Absolutely. Um, Thankfully, speaking of holes, thankfully there is an off-screen sheep orgy.
1: <laughs> yeah, and a uh, very funny line. Or
0: interspecies, line in interspecial or interspecies uh, orgy.
1: Yeah, a very funny line in that is when they discover it's a male.
0: Yes, uh, yeah, and then you know these sheep get killed, and I think it's a testament to the film that something like that is typically very broad, and it is still very broad, but the fact that it doesn't totally bring the film to a screeching halt is a testament to the rest of the film.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's played for laughs, and, you know, as with almost all the comedy in this movie, it slowly drains out. Like, I think the movie starts pretty much as a comedy.
0: Well, I can tell you uh, in that scene, a few, a few things probably quickly drained out, but... Uh... <laughs>
1: but yeah it's like during the course of the movie the comedy and i don't think if you had started this movie serious like these are murderers i don't think there was a rapist involved but murderers
0: thieves a general loose cannon uh
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) what a shitty thing to go to for jail for i'm a general loose cannon off to jail you go but uh yeah i don't know if you would have liked them as much if there wasn't as much comedy in the front end it would almost be like the Wild and Wonderful Whites with us where we just kind of felt sad for them and this and that. But we I can speak for myself. I liked these characters. Um which oh, I yeah. think comedy helped a lot lot in
0: that. Well you get to see beyond the stock kind of the archetype, the brooding, this guy, the mob boss, the biker, yeah. the the young thug, the old safe cracker, you know. <laughs> like all that. You know, Kirk Douglas yeah. fucking master touch. Like, you know, it's uh It's just – it's beyond that. He goes far beyond the conventions of that film. One thing I love about the film is all the ridiculous fucking costumes they wear en masse. Like they all dress – they're the worst drag queens this side of fucking Wong Fu at one point. They've got the greatest and yet at the same time worst and most obvious set of mustaches and mutton chops. And I love, that, I love that it's never really addressed. Like, we just see them like that. It's not like, let's get a ridiculous outfit. It's just like we see them at four or five different junctures in the film with absurd fucking disguises. Like, I, I just really like it's one of those small touches that these flimsy costumes kind of endeared to uh, me to the film.
1: Absolutely, And that they're they are questioned at one point when someone says, I know you're not a woman. And oh, yeah. uh, it's kind of a nice scene where he says, so what? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so no it's it's pretty funny how they the disguises they use and i think it's very poignant in in a later scene i was going to mention in my notes uh i guess or even if you get to it in your notes where there's a disguise on a table
0: yeah yeah um, oh yeah 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 absolutely where
1: the disguise gets sprayed i I guess i may as well say with blood (laughs) i don't want to leave it up to your imagination with all the fluids we've
0: been all the fluids that's right man
1: But, uh, yeah, which I think is a very poignant moment in the film when the bunny disguise is sitting on the table and blood sprays across. And it's it's definitely – once again, it's sort of the comedy goes into drama, but I digress.
0: (laughs) Um, Talking about the whole bird's eye thing, there's a great visual reveal with a character and his um, alternatively employed lady friend. After a kind of upbeat dance number. It's got that kind of wonderful final shot. Yeah, uh,
1: I know the one you're talking about. The lucky and, hole.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. That's,
1: that's probably right. one of my favorite scenes in the film. That's really fantastic.
0: And I love that that character is not played for the cheap laughs. He's, he has a yeah. dignity and a wisdom that those characters usually are not given.
1: Never given. Uh, barely ever. Maybe, Maybe I'm forgetting some. But yeah, it was nice that he was the one who... When everyone's laughing at that guy running behind the van, he's the one that begs the driver to please stop so they can help him and goes and cradles him. And it, it's funny. Uh, it's almost like I'm going to mention in my notes how it's like a family but without a maternal figure. But he is kind of like a maternal figure in a sense. He's a caring one.
0: Without overt feminism exuding from. Oh,
1: without question. He just has
0: a the- softer nature. If we're going to yeah, paint with a broad uh, gender brush.
1: Absolutely, because uh, uh, you know for sure. I think uh, um, Harada is the domineering, you know, strict the stern body.
0: father. Yeah.
1: Um. So I think, and he's the first one. I, I I don't think this is spoiled, but they do splinter at a certain point, and he's one of the first ones to sort of leave. And uh, yeah, I wonder if he's saying something. Toyota's saying something more with that.
0: Yeah. Oh no. I think certainly there's there's a lot. Uh You know, a lot to be said about a lot of things that just don't, that are beyond just surface uh, assessment. Um, One of the things I like about this film, and it happens sometimes with great films and great filmmakers, is our characters kind of always seem to be betwixt in between. Like it's not quite dusk, it's not quite dawn. There's really no other people in the scenes beyond our central characters and the people they need for the most part. Yeah. Which I like that. It's like they're they're inhabiting their own universe, their own space in the film. Uh, Another great shot I love is the shot of the the flower with a single petal. Yeah. Again, really fantastic. I think he picks his spots where these shots could come across in the wrong hands as saccharin or or whatever the case may be, but they're just fucking perfect uh, with Toyota in this film. Absolutely.
1: Um, He does plants, uh, because there's a time where that girl's pulling out uh, the plant, and he finds the four-leaf clovers later, and the four-leaf... Yeah, it seems he has a little bit of plant imagery going in this as well.
0: Yeah, which you could talk, you know, you could assess that as if he does something life and roots... Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of other things. Um, but speaking of perfect, there is a perfect application of the Von Erich Iron Claw. <laughs> man, who was that? That had to have been like an old school Japanese wrestler. That guy was working it, man.
1: Oh, that was amazing. I, I, I The theater I saw it in was like that knocked us on our ass when we saw it. It was oh. hilarious. Um, was, did he own yeah. a
0: candy shop? Did he own a candy shop? Was that what his uh, thing was? I think
1: he just, because uh, they were, this the father figure, uh, uh, Harada, was knocking over almost every convenience store to get money. Um, and he happened to walk in the wrong convenience store that's run by the Iron Claw. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think he was just a convenience store owner. And if you hadn't saw the pictures up on the wall, which are hilarious of him brandishing the claw at the camera, you just think, like, this is a you know, crazy old man. But, oh, that was hilarious.
0: Oh, yeah, it was really which, great.
1: Once again, the comedy sort of turns very quickly in that uh, little section.
0: Yeah, just a moment enough to lighten it, give you a sprinkle without twisting things to a jarring kind of halt. Um, and again, just we just talked kind of briefly about this, but I like that the characters are all given their moments and they're allowed to have their moments without them seeming heavy-handed or or, or obvious, like there, there still is a poignancy and an urgency to the characters having these moments.
1: I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think each character's final arc, I don't know if there's one that's not satisfying.
0: I agree 100%. And that's very rare. You have nine things going on. Um,
1: like, yeah, I, I think to, to handle them in the way they are, and there's going to be some characters who are more prominent than others. Certainly, But to give them each their final arc means something I think says a lot. I think it says a lot about even just these people and their lives and sort of uh that speech at the end where he talks about different kinds of people in the world over top. I think it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Oh definitely. Um, I really enjoyed the the kind of spare guitar score. A lot of people that, that talk about this film talk about the score, and I have to agree. You talked about it. A yeah. fantastic score. It's kind of haunting and uh, lonely, and at times it's a bit, a little bit dry, just slightly driving. It, it really good stuff, man. Uh, really, really good, unconventional score uh, from Toyota in this film. Yeah. Um, talking about poignancy, there's a bitterly kind of poignant and uh, a. I'll just leave it at that uh, with the with the, a two brother a reveal with the two brothers that just oh, yes you know it, it really really whacks you uh, when you see it and um, yeah. it's uh and then the scene with Harada the main character he, he's he, his his last arc and there's just that heartbreaking shove uh and it involves a child and I know with my son like I'll kiss him a million times in a day but the one time he doesn't want me it just like it just crushes me mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I don't want to say too much about that but and it's one of those things that was great about that scene is a character even says to him how did you think this was going to happen and I love that you know in our mind with events whether it's apologizing making up with people reunions we always dress it up a certain way in our mind and rarely does it play out that way so I, I like that they kind of they address that in this uh, yeah. in that scene um, the violence in this film it's not really a focal point it's certainly not glamorized but it's appropriately brutal and appropriately wince inducing which right. I have to commend Toyota for um, the last 20 minutes of this film particularly about uh, the la- the 10 minutes before the final 10 minutes um, really was going at a really good pace and it had a rhythm. And as it was unwinding, really extremely powerful stuff. When the editing and everything was kind of cutting back and forth between characters, and that—that's when it took me from being a very good film to—I mean, it really ramped it up for me. Even then, at that point, um, and you know, I never thought it would happen. But again, when you're in the hands of a very good filmmaker, uh, I had a very rich. There was a very rich emotional reward of a car horn being honked. Yeah. And I won't say any more. But the fact that something as that can be as uh, richly emotionally rewarding as it is, again, is a testament uh, to the film, the filmmaker. Um, and I just want to say, on the whole, you and I talk about this a lot. Because is my final note, I'm always, um, uh, I always admire Japanese films and the economy and the minimalist uh, uh, approach they take to things that still comes off in doing that as incredibly profound and incredibly insightful into the human condition and into the family dynamic. Yeah. Uh, I think you'd say it, and I agree with you, they do family drama, um, I think, better than anyone in the world, and I, I think it's very interesting that they, they consistently can pull that up. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I
1: will say better than anyone I've seen. Who knows, maybe there's some country out there that makes even better family drama. Bulgaria perhaps. Possibly. But from Ozu to like Nine of souls, it just these it's not the typical, you know they a brother and sister go to visit their dying father and realize how important family really is. They never take that route, whether it be, you know, visitor Q or this about yeah, this is a movie about family too. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you know many of the films about family from Japan. Happiness of the Katakuri is probably being my favorite. Um, they just never take the typical way, um, which yeah, I'm, uh, and for that they're more touching. They're more, they're much more uh, real in a sense.
0: Oh, totally, totally.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm very glad to hear you liked it. That was your last note, or uh,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you were gonna continue. Sorry. You're saying I
0: lied. I hated it. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't even been recording this.
0: Yes. Thank you, Chris. Like, that's how much I hate it. We're recording nothing about it. <laughs>
1: Instead, we're gonna talk about the Super Bowl. What do you think, Chris?
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess I'll get to my notes about Nine Souls. Um, I, I think. I know slow-mo gets a lot of flack lately, it seems, from film fans. Um, I don't know why that is. I quite like slow-mo, if it's used correctly. Um, and I think totally Toy- Toyota uses it fantastic. Um, he, I guess he uses it more in his earlier films, and he really picks his moments to use slow-mo. Um, he uses it with them running at the beginning, And with the whole running at the end, like it's almost bookended with slow-mo scenes um, with the running Um, and even like little scenes where, you know, in this movie of uh, no maternal figures almost, it has a child grab his mother's hand um, is shown in slow-mo. So I I really like
0: his use of slow-mo. Yes, that was a great shot, by the way.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think he does a really good job with that, and I hope people who just write off slow mo don't write because he knows how to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that the whole film. I, I we touched on this in your notes. It asks a lot of questions uh, about like escape, and you know we're all trying to escape something, but. What are we trying to get? Like it's we don't know. We know we want to escape something, but we don't know what we want. And like how I mentioned, it goes from life prison to their eventual fates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want to escape life, whatever's bothering them in life, um, which leads them to even more. And Toyota said, I believe in Blue Spring. He said Japan is a prison. Um, which, I think so. I actually I think so. Um, it, which is taken from a. Uh, Manga, which I actually—it's one of the cases I like the movie better than the source. I think the movie's fantastic. But they go to prison and then they escape that, and yeah, it's—you know—this eventual trying to gain freedom. And uh, let's see, what else have I got here? I, I was—I did mention. I think it's amazing i think toyota's fantastic but i guess nowadays he's a little he got busted for drugs or something in japan i think it was
0: a heroin about 3 or 4 years ago and he's kind of been in exile ever since was that what it was i think
1: so and i think it's not looked upon very like here you, i shouldn't say here cuz canada bare naked lady this guy sniffs coke and we're like hey you don't really need to be doing that guy it, you know it's, <laughs> we are a little bit stricter where's america i find you know it's like ah, you know he did, it, like, even Charlie Sheen, he's, like, a piece of trash, isn't he? he oh, what a fucking
0: scumbag, and, unrepentant fucking scumbag he is.
1: Yeah, but we're kind of cool with that. And, like, even Ethan Hawke, like, cheats on I'm his not, life with kids. kids. Um, but, you know, for the, a lot of part, I, I could see Mel Gibson making a popular movie.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, so it's, we don't really string people up the same way and, like, much as you were saying about Stacy Keach, like uh, nowadays, fuck, you get caught with coke, it's like, yeah, what else is new? The, um,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and it seems like Toyota, it's unfortunate, and I haven't seen Hanging Garden or uh, Blood of Rebirth yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. But unfortunately, I think a lot of people in Japan are keen on working with the drug addict.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Um, I, you just recently saw Koyana Skotsky, which is one of my favorites, if not my favorite, mix of uh, music and visuals mm-hmm. I've ever seen. And I got to say, uh, Toyota's up there with me where he can put music to visuals. I think the opening cityscape scene oh. is breathtaking to the music, to the what's happening as the cityscape sort of disappears. Um, it's sort of even Tokyo Tower being prominent, which Tokyo Tower it's almost like an imitation of the Eiffel Tower, so it's almost like it's weird that that's prominent. Um, it, it's just, yeah, he, he has a way, and even with the montage at the end, with, uh, as you were mentioning, the ten minutes before the final ten minutes, um, how he cuts that together the music. A lot of times I don't like stuff set to music. Um, his stuff, I, I don't think I've seen him do bad like a bad job of any of it yet, so... Um, yeah, along with Koyana Skotsky, uh, I quite like his use of visuals and music. Um, and during the interview, I thought it was very funny, because uh, he says, uh, I think, you know, Mike. I'm a huge Mike fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you're a fan, too. It's Absolutely. funny that during one of uh, his interviews, Toyota says he wishes Mike would start making proper films. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if uh, Mike did sort of, uh, was... Like getting back at uh, back at uh, Toyota with uh, Big Bang Love Juvenile by using Matsuda and probably it being the most unconventional film he's ever done in a prison. Probably not, but I did find it funny that you know uh, uh, she called him out and Miike made this film in the future. Um... See, I did find it interesting that Matsuda, about his character, said he's a shut in, which uh, back at the time where I saw this, I guess 2003 when it was released, I think, mm-hmm. um, I didn't know uh, that shut ins were so common in Japan that it was like this sort of uh, epidemic at this point. I, I know it really came to light with uh, Bong Jun Ho, was it, who uh, did the Tokyo. Uh, that segment in Tokyo about the shut-in.
0: I believe so.
1: Yeah, so it, that was which was an excellent segment, but yeah, it was interesting that he was a shut-in. I, I love how once again I, I mentioned this in the cold cold fish review I did for you guys. Um, how I like how a lot of Japanese intelligent films are about more than just one or two things.
0: Yes. Uh, And and even though on the surface you can almost take it literally and still take something away with it, but the more you think about it, it's like this this pebble dropped in the water. You can take the initial ripple or the ninth ripple out and still it adds so much because of all the preceding ripples.
1: Absolutely. And I I do love uh, that it is a big portion of this movie, aside from family, aside from escape, aside from freedom, is about uh, tradition versus new. Uh-huh. Um, and the pointlessness of it where, uh, you know, you have, uh, obviously Matsuda's character hates Harada's character. I think even in an, an amazing one shot scene, uh-huh. um, where he says, it pisses me off that you're still alive. And it's this sort of feeling that, you know, people aren't giving up stuff to us. You know, the, the younger generation has of, you know, the older generation, how dare they almost still you know, be hoarding the jobs, and hoarding this, and uh, this and that, and it, I do like how it's sort of uh, brought up later, you know, you have the angry Matsuda character, but then when he sees his brother, the younger generation, the new generation, who's I don't want to say much, but you know, comparable to the father. Mm. Um, you know, so it is it showed, sort of shows the whole pointlessness of tradition versus new. It, it is an those easy answers um everything and everyone's corruptible in a sense um and you know i i guess it doesn't matter if i say Matsuda's the guy who killed his father it's mentioned in the first um,
0: oh yeah 15 minutes of the film
1: yeah and it's like he he here i think maybe the yeah after the montage his father's saying like how money is to be almost hoarded and not Built schools or anything like that and it is almost defiant like a act of rebellion yes how he goes against his father and you know eventually goes to jail for it but yeah i like how the brothers brought in and it's very poignant later when uh the brother what's he called he call himself tight pussy or oh, something,
0: something <laughs> as as equally as as absurd as that
1: yeah, ridiculous so I, I thought that was excellent Um, I've mentioned the comedy in the film. I do find it hilarious that they change out of their prison uniforms and they change into once again, a very uniform, uh, like they all look the same in the white uniforms.
0: Yeah. It's like, yeah, they could have been fucking prison uniforms.
1: Yeah. So it was very funny and it kept them, uh, it, you know, it did keep them as a group versus the individual sort of like the, how the rehabilitation and even Japan's mindset of, uh, the group versus the individual, Um, by keeping them still a group, which I'm sure is a comment on, you know, how Japan's politics work, and about family as well. Um, I think... uh, Okay, they were the most unconvincing women I've ever seen. (laughs) I I do think... I like the conflict throughout the whole movie uh, between the different members of uh, the, the group, but... How uh, you know it does feel like a family? Like I don't think anyone's life's ever in danger. Like it would be in an American film. How you have that wild card?
0: Oh yeah, of course that. Yeah, they're they're hiding out and you know just everyone's on edge.
1: Yeah, and this guy killed a woman, and you know the good guys against that. You didn't have to kill that waitress. Yeah, they they (laughs) wanted. It was like conflict about like you know almost menial things and yeah, it was like a family and I do like how branching out like, I don't know what he's saying about the family, but branching out of this family, leaving the family unit, generally didn't lead to good things Um, and I'm curious to what he was trying to say with that, like if, I know family's important, but uh, yeah, branching out's also important too and I don't know if it was they found like, whereas, you know some people do meet very bad fates and I wonder if, like, I'll say they died. I wonder if uh, Toyota um, considers death like a bad fate, or if it is the freedom. So that that's very curious how he did that.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: Um, I think also that long shot, uh, the one where um, it's Harada, he's down in the rice field, and um, Matsuda attacks him, and they fight, and they're dragged up onto the road, and The people are trying to separate them. And that shot goes on for a while. And the actors are getting filthy in the rice field. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, they're getting exhausted. I can't imagine how many takes they did of that. But it's really something to behold. You can see all the actors are just exhausted after that scene. Um, The Lucky Hole scene, once again, another. I love the song. The stripper dances to in that scene.
0: Oh, yes, yes.
1: Um, and it is really the turning point in the movie. It happens after the conflict. Um, and yeah, well, it's once again, you lose the first member in that, uh, scene as well. So, and yeah, that scene with the lucky hole and sort of how it goes from just the way it plays the music and it shows Matsuda taking a drink and it shows Harada just sitting there thinking and you don't know what they're thinking about, but you can see the regret it's just, uh, it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, what did kind of keep them together was finding something. Um, and I do like how, once again, it was the two worlds collide when they find it. It's like a lunchbox they find <laughs> with like a barn on it. Like it so it's really old timey. It really seems, uh, you know, it seems like something from the past, but yet it holds a key to the future.
0: Yes, which again, very, very much, that i that object uh, perfectly exemplifies the film the, the thesis of the film I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's superb. Like it's really well thought out. Um, I love how fate and destiny sort of uh, in the future even starts coming in at this at a very quirky scene. Um, the scenes with the clouds where the clouds are tadpoles and frogs, and um, he finds all the four-leaf clovers, really shows the uh, inevitabil- inevitability of what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yet it's in a quirky, one of the lighter scenes of the film. Oh, um, yeah. I do love that there's a dead Kennedy shirt in the movie. Um, I thought that was very <laughs> <Yeah>. funny.
0: <laughs> I know, I was going to mention that, but I, I didn't.
1: Um, let's see, I don't have much left here. Um yeah, I do think uh, it was nice to see uh, Matsuda's, or sorry, Harada's uh, uh, his point of view for at one point because a lot of it he seems like a domineering guy. and as you were saying, the scene with the child, um, where you know, at the end, uh, you know there's a wedding and stuff, and that's probably the most hopeful thing where pans from him angry or tilts from him angry tilts up and shows a happy the doors open in a happy wedding
0: yes i thought
1: was beautiful Mm -hmm. um but yeah it shows uh once again he's being rejected um and you know you kind of see it from his point of view at that point like maybe why he is so
0: angry and grumpy and sorry go ahead i don't know if that's the case i i I think that you know, it, it, again, I think it's one of those things where I could see it that way, but I think she asks a very succinct question: What did you think was going to happen? You know, we can assume a lot based mm-hmm. on her reaction and based on that, she seems to be a very doting, attentive mother. Um, yeah. But you know, again, and you know what interprete- he did to get him in prison as well. Yes, yeah.
1: you know, if it was he killed his son, obviously. Yes, you know, but uh, but yeah, I do, I did get a, I did start feeling a bit more sympathy for him there. Um, it, granted it was brought on himself um, but yeah you did start seeing how like, uh, he is being turned away in a sense and I think that's like you could say it was brought on himself but I think it was sort of just showing his perspective for once and even the way it first shows him looking through his hand like just peeking through his hand like he's very trepidatious as well I think sympath- makes you sympathize with him as well
0: Oh, absolutely, and I, I do want to say, without getting into too much, there's a reveal later on involving that character that um, substantially shifts uh, some perception of of, of 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 him and his his backstory, without it being overly expository or heavy-handed. Yeah, absolutely. I think it doesn't need to be. It says everything it needs. To. Again, that economy of of saying things, right? It's so what it needs to say. You can put it together. You have enough faith in your viewer to, to put it together on their own. And,
1: and I wonder, like, you know, by the end, he's wearing a – this isn't squat. He's wearing a suit. You see him take a suit. So he is that father figure by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if, uh, you know, with Japan being sort of a patriarchal society – and even like a strict society, in a sense, like it's you know a lot of times in uh, Western culture, we're all special, we're all someone. Um, you know, whereas Japan, it's very for it's a lot more stricter. And I wonder if the lack of maternal figure is a little bit of Toy, uh, Toyota's comment on Japan as well. Um, if that if that played into it at all, I was just come. curious about that.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and that's my notes.
0: All right, uh, I'll get in my make or break. The scenes that made it for me, the scenes with the characters trying to right these wrongs or to uh, atone or to to get back to something, um, that's what made it. And that's really, I mean, the the heart of the film, the weight of the film uh, relies on those scenes. And like we said, to to pull off nine of them, I mean, yeah, some you get it behind because of what you bring to the table emotionally or otherwise, certainly. But I think those scenes to all be pulled off... uh, you know well done MVT is Toyota uh you know this this film and this message in the wrong hands could have been saccharine and heavy handed and some other poor decisions could have been made in terms of the characters but it, they were not made um my score for the film is an 8.5 out of 10 um again I think it's a film that maybe when people first see it they're going to really dig it they're going to keep thinking about it and thinking about it and kind of this poetry about it um the spare kind of poetry of it and uh I am going to quite enjoy it, Um, you know, very good film, and I can see why this always came up in conversation in terms of being one you wanted to cover on the show.
1: Are you there? Yeah, I I think also, like, it is very meditative and stuff, but there's very, uh, oh, you can't hear me anymore?
0: I can now. Hello. Can you hear me?
1: Oh, okay. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I can hear you, yes. I, I heard you the whole time. So, maybe mine just went mute or something since I wasn't talking for a little while there. For once. Uh, (laughs) I was just going to say, I think, you know, we have said this film's very uh, meditative and stuff, but there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, powerful scenes in it as well. Like, it's not super slow moving. Like, it starts out, I think it starts out pretty much hits the ground running. Um, like it's very funny and, uh, pace, like pacey and stuff. And yeah, it does get meditative after a while, but I, I think there's a lot to be enjoyed even on a superficial level, like not superficial,
0: but, uh, on a surface level or a uh, visceral yeah. or kind of a, a spectacle. I, I know what you mean. Beyond, He, he knows beyond... how
1: to compose a shot. Yes. He knows how to make a scene. He knows how to play comedy. So, you know, there is, there is a lot to, there's a lot to enjoy in the film, I guess is all I'm trying to say. Um, so I guess I'll get into my stuff. Um, my maker or break, which, which uh, when I was watching this in the theater, um, it was the opening cityscape scene. With that guitar playing and with the, uh, the bird's eye view over the cityscape and the disappearing build- buildings and stuff. It just, I, I would, I think at that point I would have been shocked if the movie was anything, like, It's such a strong opening. And then to go into uh, Matsuda's uh, scene with him and uh, looking out the window, and it it just, that opening scene was my uh, make or break scene. My most valuable thing, easily, Toyota. Um, I I think there's a lot to like about this film, and he's sort of helming all of it. Um, It really has a touch of an auteur. And uh, yeah, I really, really really look forward to seeing everything he does. Um, and my score is a 9. I, I really, really like this film a lot. Um, yeah, it's it just uh, fantastic. So I, I can't say enough good things. I'm really happy to hear you liked it. Hopefully Rick gets to watch it. I'm curious to what he thinks about it. It's just a very strong film. Yeah, I know. And Sorry, I know I Jake. Uh, what's that? Oh, I thought maybe I, I got lost again.
0: I got lost. Uh, no, uh, I know Jake and and Jake the the large and the huge, known uh, mm-hmm. as Jake Mick, uh, as well as Josh, who actually has a quote I think on the inside of the DVD cover.
1: Um, yeah, Facebook me that. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, um, burr, burr, burr. both of them adore this film. So yeah, let us know what you think. Anyone that sees it. So there you go, an 8.5 and a nine. Rock, scolid, rock, scolid, rock That's solid, rock solid, rock solid. Yes, it is. Rock solid scores for a rock solid film. <laughs> we're going to be back with some music, with a promotion from some friends, and then we're going to get into some Andy Lau and some kung fu fighting deer. We'll be right. We'll back We'll all be rock solid. <laughs> be back soon. Please, Hello.
1: Are you looking for reviews of the minute details of fine cinema? What does that mean, Daddy? Are you looking for knowledgeable discussions of directorial decisions? We don't do that. Are you looking for profound and deeply insightful critique
0: of film as an art form?
1: Dad, I don't even know what you're talking about.
0: Then hello, everyone. I'm Dr. J, and this is my daughter. KJ! And we're here to bring you family movie night.
1: No, we don't offer you all that, but what we will offer is movie reviews that will help you
0: to make viewing choices for what to watch with your children,
1: nephews and nieces,
0: or the kid down the street you have to babysit for the weekend. Are you tired of endless reruns of Hannah
1: Montana? Hey, I like Hannah Montana. Then join us for Family Movie Night. You can find us on
0: iTunes or at our website,
1: www.fmnpodcast.com. Bye!
0: My voice, that means I we are back, your voice. and Chris cuts me off, that in record time, no less, that's a personal record, I am
1: a scumbag, <laughs> you
0: are man, I thought
1: you were asking me, <laughs>
0: <laughs> here we are, it's that time, we're going to get into um, a film from Troy Hawk, a director who's been on the show before, with a completely different kind of film, with Don't Play a Fire, um, one of the much-regarded, uh, much-loved, and of course by both of us too, it should be said, uh, filmmakers from the early 80s, Hong Kong, golden era, uh, with, as far as genre film beyond Kung Fu goes. Um, so yeah, this was a new film. Uh, it was at TIFF. Uh, I know I wanted to see it there. I didn't get a chance to. Uh, I don't – I guess for same reason for you, uh, just kind of numbers game, yeah. timing, scheduling, etc. Um He – has been off his game that's been the consensus for probably 10 years yeah something like that i mean he he's been uh, shitting the bed a fair bit uh to varying degrees re- oh sorry i was just gonna Again. say do you
1: hate his recent films no no or i don't
0: do you just uh, not like them as much uh, i don't like them as much i i, I think that shitting the bed is probably a bit harsh uh uh, underwhelming lukewarm would probably be a more apt uh, description um but yeah so here we are Detective D and the Mystery of the Phantom Flame this is a 2010 film directed by uh, Mr. Hawk uh starring one Andy Lau who is one of my absolute favorite uh, Hong Kong actors uh, Karina Lau another heavyweight uh Bing Bing Lee who's who's risen, risen to fairly prominent acclaim uh, or she's been you know fairly pervasive in the whole uh sorry I'm looking into something else here uh, in, in Hong Kong cinema uh, for the last little while and of course Twenty Lung Kai-Fai not Lung Chu-Wai uh, of uh, Wong Kar-Wai fame amongst other things um, so yeah I picked this film uh, we were very curious to see how it was going to shake out what did you think?
1: Um, okay well I'll go uh, right into my notes Right off the bat, it's easy to see Hark's uh, ability to have beautiful, beautiful CG, um, like stunning sort of imagery, and fairly awful CG. (laughs) Um, Some CG that's a little, more than a little, uh, you know, definitely takes you out of the movie. But I will say, even the worst CG in this is better than some of the CG in Zoo Warriors, which, uh, which had some pretty bad stuff.
0: Yes, I absolutely agree with you. The CG in this is probably about 10 years behind. It's it's, it's CG from Hollywood 1999, I'd say. Or yeah. 2000. Yeah,
1: and he uses... Uh, see, I think... And I'll mention this later in my notes, so I can skip it later. Um, I think the fact that he... he like, I think, for example, Stephen Chow uses CG amazing oh, yeah. um, in Kung Fu Hustle. And uh, Shaolin soccer. I think he's a master at making CG really pop things. Um, but I think with this,
0: hey Chris, I'm sorry, sorry to cut you so off, Chris. Can you hear me?
1: More so than Zou Warriors, I think the fact that he totally immersed himself in it. I think after Chris, a while, I just stopped caring. And Chris, yep,
0: I I'm can sorry. hear you. Yes, could you? Hello. Hey, I guess. Okay, that that was what was happening. Do you have a bunch of stuff open right now, like uh, software-wise, or anything beyond what we need, or just? A f- um, I just have Skype and Internet
1: Movie Database. Okay.
0: Okay. okay good. Just because it was really broken up there, I just wanted to make sure. Okay. No, that's cool then. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Uh, just you were breaking up a lot on my end, so let's uh, let's get back. in. I think someone's calling me. Of course. Uh, you can hang on one sec, please. And thank yep. You. Hello? Hey, Ma. Listen, I'm just recording my show. Can I call you when I'm done? That's okay. You had no way of knowing. Usually I record uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah, something like that. Okay, I love you, Ma. Okay, bye. Sorry, it was my beautiful mother. Uh, let's uh, get into it.
1: Always. Um, I was just going to ask, how far did you get me?
0: Um Either that. Hang on here Are You there? Yep Sorry Um I just want to make sure this thing's still recording Let me see Okay, it looks like it's still recording Which is good Um okay. Fuck, I almost want to stop it and then just start it again
1: Go just, ahead, that's
0: fine. And just uh, like jump right into it. So we're gonna stop this, guys. Uh, I'm not gonna fuck around with editing and all that jazz. Uh, you can get the rough cut, as it were. So let me uh, let me stop recording here, and then I'll just start again, just so I don't fuck it up. Do it.
1: So were you gonna re like go back into it, or just start?
0: no? We can. Keep, I think we'll keep going. I'll just meld the two together, and you know there'll be a few rough spots, but you know right. that's uh, a peek behind the curtain. I, tr- I trust you. <laughs> okay. I hope so. So,
1: uh, so okay. Um, my next note here is I almost thought it was Steve Carell playing the uh, Roman emperor at the beginning. Oh my
0: god! I know. <laughs> you know in, a, in a terrible beard and in, in a film full of terrible beards.
1: Oh yeah, it was. It almost looked like one scene in the close up. He was uh, fiddling with it to make sure it wasn't falling off. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it, it was very funny. If they have a uh, Steve Carroll lookalike contest, uh, he could definitely maybe come in fifth or something. Um, it's interesting to have a supernatural story, a detective mystery, a historical drama, and a Wushaw film all combined in one. Yes. Um, once again, like as I was saying with the CG, I think since Hark just so wholeheartedly went into it you kind of at a certain point stop being critical um i do love the ballsiness of doing all these different genres sort of rolled into one too
0: but i kind of think that's that's always been hart's thing is he can juggle a lot of different genres a lot of different things you know he was american trained um, Mm -hmm. in addition to obviously being eastern raised so i think it, it does enabled him to have the sensibility of, of kind of both worlds. Because, yeah, it's all those films. At times it also feels like the spirit of like an Indiana Jones or like a 40s action serial. Um, yeah. It, it just really an interesting mix that, yeah, you, you're right. This film could be torn to shreds in some regards, but you have to kind of shut that off uh, and let it work on its own merits uh, if you're going to stick with it. Not to say it's – if you don't give it a hall pass, it's not going to work for you. It should. It, it's a fun film, but – you know, mm-hmm. the things that are there, like the, the ropey CGI and stuff, and some of the other stuff, you kind of just have to roll with it uh, if you're going to, because it's, you know, it's not really the point.
1: Yeah, and it and it is a very pacey, it's very, you know, there's a there's a lot of bonuses to go, you know, counteract the negatives. Um, I do like the character of Pi- is it Pei, Pi, P-E-I? Pi, yeah. Um, Pi, um, the albino who, you know, he is shown to be a pretty awful person at times, but he's never really vilified, um, you know, how he treats Tony Lung at the beginning. Um, but yet he's one of our heroes. I, th- I thought that was
0: interesting. That is one of the greatest strengths of this film, is the fact that um, Lee Bing, Andy Lau, Karina Lau, well, to a lesser degree to Karina Lau, because she's more in the background, but uh, Chow Deng, uh, uh, Lee Bing, and Andy Lau's character's Um, I love the, the unsure footing we're on, um, with all the characters and the games they're all playing and the psychological kind of warfare or uh, the, the chess match and their their allegiances Allegiances. and the backdoor dealings. And I love how that's constantly shifting in the film. And like you said, Ding's character could have been very much black hat, uh, with white hair, of course, but, uh. You know, he's – he's everyone's kind of – you're unsure where everyone stands. And I, it was great. You end up getting behind his character even though he's a, a total, you know, douche at first.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And he is, does turn out to be one of the – I not giving away too much. But, you know, he turns out to be a very prominent heroic character in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you can make it through the deer scene – um you'll be you'll be fine
0: afterwards um that's that is gonna be the litmus test for a lot of people
1: yeah and i love the audacity of it I, I did kind of you know like i i i got a kick out of it but i could see someone saying at the deer scene fuck off you know just like all right i'm done but yeah if you can make it through that you're gonna be fine
0: well that's that's really what happens um that's what happened with my wife. She was watching. She was enjoying it. And then there's a scene where it's like the the empress uh, is holding court, and this this fucking you know deer struts onto the scene and starts talking Mandarin and kind of pro- proclaiming things in like the sing-song Mandarin. And it was so funny because I knew that there was deer action in this film. <laughs> and my wife, I was hilarious because I was looking at her when the deer came. I knew the second I saw the deer, it was going to be like pretty wonky, ridiculous, and I was going to enjoy it. Um, and I looked at her, and as the deer's talking Mandarin, it was hilarious because I told you her head, like I can see her head like shifting around the screen, Like she's trying to determine who's talking before <laughs> she finally connects the dots, and she's like, that's not the fucking deer talking, is it? Oh. I'm like, Yeah. And then so she would have stuck with it, but she fell asleep. But it was funny because that did kind of put her off. And I could see that. But I think people listen to our show, they're not going to be concerned with, with uh, talking deers. It's the least of their worries.
1: No, no, not at all. I, I remember when you were telling me the story of your uh, wife while, while she was watching it. And uh, I thought you had said – and when the beer started talking, so I thought, were they sitting in front of a – detective d just chugging beers <laughs> it's Once a, a beer started talking <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah no kidding, but man. no
1: it's a deer makes way more sense than that um but yeah i did i, I got a kick i had no idea there was going to be deer action i thought the uh plug had been pulled on any idea of using deers as characters since ring two um so yeah it, it was it was nice to see um when detective detective deeds first introduced he really did remind me of the
0: villain from the horror of the malformed man yeah totally man with think like, that wily beard and like the like the chick like the bird's nest long hair and yeah it,
1: it yeah. was uh it definitely a great introduction of a character who i thought was going to be you know almost like a classy character um you know you hear detective d and i guess he's known in as judge d in uh literature and to see him as this disheveled Um, Yeah, really rough-looking guy uh, where you kind of expect – like you don't expect to see Sherlock Holmes that way. You don't expect these sort of people. You just don't expect to see like that. I thought it was a nice way to intro intro him.
0: Totally, totally. And before I say any more actually because I'll overlook this note because I put it at the top of my page above my – the title of the film. Let me ask you this, Chris, because it came up to about half of the film. Do you think this film is is appropriate from a content standpoint for Docking KK?
1: I'm trying to remember. I think the only thing you'd have to worry about is cussing. And I don't remember if there
0: was cussing. There's not a lot. Um, there's a few moments maybe.
1: But, yeah, in terms of uh, the violence isn't over the top, I think it's fairly fine. But I'd hate to say it. I'd hate to think that there's a couple f words sprinkle in there that I
0: never noticed. Doc does always screen things first. But, Doc, if uh – you get around to it, um, and this does play for you guys. I'd be very keen to see what you guys think and what KK thinks of it. But anyway, I, I digress there. Sorry about that.
1: Oh, I I think as a kid, uh, this movie would have blew. I, I would have loved this movie. Yeah. I, I think you know, just the action set pieces are so fun. Um, and once again, it's like I think fun over well executed. I sometimes works uh in Hark's favor here. Yes. Um, about 20 minutes in when the first action set piece with detective D that's where I really got the impression of this is going to be a, a rompy film. Yes. Um, this isn't gonna be, you know, his, a very hi- much a historical drama. This isn't going to be beautiful fights. Um, you know, lovingly photographed. This is a romp. And, uh, yeah, I started to lighten up a little bit during that, uh, after that scene. Um, I do love uh, the dialogue. Uh, what is the Phantom Bazaar? Uh, when they're uh, going to the Phantom Bazaar and the one ca- character, I believe it's uh, Dang's character, asks, what is the Phantom Bazaar? And uh, Detective D says, a spook pandemonium. And then, <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> and, and then on top of that, he looks into the eye or looks into the eye, looks into the air thoughtfully, and goes, "Do you remember Donkey
0: Wang? Donkey uh, Wang is a real character's name in this film. That kind of get lets you know, man. Like, oh, absolutely, knows what's going on. He knows it's ridiculous. Like, you know, Donkey Wang is 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 a fairly prominent character,
1: and he he does live in a spook pandemonium. So uh, he,
0: he lives in a spook pandemonium. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely." And,
1: And that's where I think, uh, once we're down in the Phantom Bazaar and the Chaplin fight scene, which I really liked, um, that's when you realize this movie's fucking nuts. Yeah. Um, It it has logs being thrown around, splitting Chaplin, like, when Chaplin attacks, he splits into three parts, and then you have ninjas controlling puppets, and, you know, all sorts of different fighting going on. And at that point, the CG stopped bothering me, um, but like, like, at all. Um, all critical thoughts sort of left my mind, and I just kind of started going with the flow. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a really fun scene, that scene with the logs and them trying to catch Donkey Wang. And uh, that sounds... <laughs> them trying to catch Donkey Wang. We're talking about Nine Souls again.
0: I was just um, gonna say that's the the connect is uh, yeah. it's a tenuous one, but
1: yeah, sheep wang and, and Donkeying. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a really fun little scene. Um, I thought Detective D's mace was a pretty kick-ass weapon.
0: Oh yeah. Um,
1: it, it's it handled really well. Um, it was kind of nice to see Detective D's motivations. Um, once again, was kind of it had a hero feel. Uh, the Jet Li film hero with uh, sort of the greater good than personal vendettas and sort of petty things.
0: Which which a lot of people critis- can criticize as being overly nationalistic. But I think, I could be wrong, this is a Hong Kong production not a, a mainland production, yep. correct? Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, I, I did find that interesting that, you, you know, so many of these um, adventure movies, it's very personal. Yes. Whereas, it, I think it's ver- said very near the very beginning detective d did you go into a plot synopsis at
0: C empress oh, totally didn't i totally fucking shit the bed on that um it and why don't i do it now halfway through the reviews <laughs> as good a time as any uh, an exiled detective we're all american boys we are all american boys who hate that long hair we like the preppy look instead um an exiled detective is, and I know Carl Bresden and a few others are going to totally. that's going to go over huge with them. Uh, an exiled detective is recruited to solve a series of mysterious deaths that threaten to delay the inauguration of Empress Wu. So there you go. Halfway through is as good a time as any.
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and the deaths are uh, fan- the fan- where the phantom flame comes in. Um, but, yeah, it was nice because it, it shows very early in the movie that him and the Empress don't see eye to eye um and i did like you know once again it's the allegiances and you're always questioning and stuff but i did like the detective d was sort of a, a man of integrity um yes. so i like that um i don't know if you noticed but i knew all bets were off and the shit was really gonna hit the fan when a net um oh, popped into the movie
0: you know i noticed and they up the antique gets this isn't some fucking rope net this was a chain net
1: yeah there's no escape it's a net you're you're done (laughs) they could have ended the movie there
0: I wanted to sing it uh, return of the net
1: they could have just had text at the end uh, saying detective D and uh, Lau's character and Lee's character were all caught by nets the end
0: but But, they would say and has been relegated to the spooky pandemonium where he is still confounded (laughs) by the net to this very day yeah, so uh, <laughs> it was nice
1: to see the net. I was looking for eye patches, none, none to be found. Sadly, I, none. Uh, I did think I saw Henry Silva in a scene, though, so that was nice.
0: Yes, uh, with uh, with a Pyme type beard.
1: Yeah, he was wearing a yellow house coat, and it, it was good stuff. I'm, yes, of course. <laughs> um, I did find Hark does push his luck a little in the second deer encounter. Um, it seemed like he maybe he was testing his audiences uh, <laughs> suspension of disbelief but I did enjoy it um, yes I think pay as a um, you know strategic fighter should really uh, the albino uh, should really s- consider um, I, I don't think you're supposed to call them albinos anymore I think no? it's people with albinism because albinos like calling them their disease so a per uh, I'll just call him his name, uh, Chow Dang <laughs> rather than call him something that's not politically correct. But uh, he really needs to stop yelling five minutes before all his sneak attacks.
0: Yeah, uh, probably <laughs> uh, a bit of a strategic uh, misfire.
1: Yeah, it did <laughs> seem every time he was going after Ch- And I did love how Andy Lau, every time uh, his uh, mace broke someone's weapon, he announced it broke. So, just yeah. in case they never noticed shards of their weapons flying
0: that the, now they were rendered pretty much you know defenseless,
1: yeah, you'd say break
0: so. he is the al michaels of uh of fighting,
1: yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and my last note is I really like detective d 's fate in this movie. How the movie ended with uh, yeah. what happened to Detective D.
0: Well, he and, ended uh, up in the yellow house coat.
1: That's right. Um, I really liked how the film ended. I thought it was very satisfying and definitely would lead me to want to see a sequel or another movie in a franchise of Detective D movies.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. A um, couple things we didn't talk about. Um Sammo, of course, Sammo Hung did the action choreography in this film, which felt uncharacteristic of Sammo. I think this is more Choi Hark uh, exerting more influence than Sammo exerting his influence. Um, I will just say up front, the fighting is not. Uh, you and I talked about this. Yeah. It feels a bit choppy in spots. So there's a few moments, but nothing that's really jaw-dropping. Well, there's um,
1: about one fight scene that I remember more for the fight moves and the no. choreography than like, Balls to the wall, go for broke attitude.
0: Correct. I would agree with that. Um, I mean, you you said it right off the hop. You can see right away we're in the hands of a very good filmmaker. The shots are impeccably framed. The cinematography is excellent. Um, You know, I'm willing to look past the ropey CGI of the spontaneous combustions. Um, But I I love that some of the CGI was good. Like, I thought some of the stuff were like they. when the camera kind of lays on its back to see the the towering innards of the Buddha statue and the enormity Absolutely. of it, was, was really good and really good. Or
1: even this uh, the uh, aerial shots of the
0: huge Buddha. Yes, they were very um, good.
1: Yeah, I, not all of it was bad, of course. No. There, I think I mentioned there's some beautiful CG and there's some extremely ropey.
0: Oh, yeah. What wasn't ropey was the Grecian formula that Tony Lung kai Phi is using. That guy's age. That guy's the Dick Clark of Hong Kong films, man. He is aged very well because I think he's in his. Let me click on his IMDb. I w- I wanted to say he was in his early fifties, um, fifty-eight. So yeah, he's what fifty-two. Yeah. Uh, fifty-three. He's he's aged very well. Um, good actor he doesn't work enough. Um. Yeah, excellent actor. Uh, I think, you know, we talked about the spooky pandemonium. <laughs> um, and there's just some moments in this film that it very much feel like Hark. Because Hark's very much, like I said, a very much a everything and the kitchen sink filmmaker sometimes. Yeah. And, um, like, he throws some lines in this film that are just, you know, call me nitpicky, but they're just not um, periods, like, they're not period accurate. Like, characters get called dorks and are told to cut the crap
1: i I don't remember anyone being called dork but yes it definitely has modern slang Uh,
0: yeah which even
1: though i don't remember the last time i heard someone get called dork
0: yeah probably in an 80s you know with like an 80s bully in a high
1: school Oh, that's right the guy called uh detective d a dork had his sweater tied around his uh around him wearing the pink sweater and he was uh he had was trying to get them out of the ski resort.
0: And his name was Chad. His friend was the Bradster.
1: That's right. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot that scene.
0: Understandable. Um, immaculate, immaculate production design um, pretty much throughout the film. Uh, the scene with, uh, I says here, a blue hue. I can't recall what I meant by that now, but um, I just think throughout the film, it is a feast visually. You had mentioned uh where the curse of the golden flower um i think you it was is it golden flower or golden lotus i can't remember
1: i think golden flower
0: i love that film by the way it feels you know people i think it was mismarketed here but uh, i think it's uh, a fantastic uh period uh, you know uh, uh i was gonna say hitchcock uh, <laughs> shakespeare shakespearean kind of uh you know piece but uh um Anyway, uh, immaculate, immaculate production design. This film, no matter where you are in the film, looks gorgeous and is very interesting visually. Um, I do want to say that right off the bat. Um, I like the lines, and I don't. I'm going to flub it because I was trying to write it down. I didn't write it down quick enough. But when we first come across Detective D and he's with the old man, and and they're going through all these memorials uh, that were sent to, to the where they were. Um, and they, they say memorials are the state's prescription. We know the illness of the state by reading them. I like that line. I think it's a pretty intelligent line. They can kind of see from the outside the things that people you know are lamenting with indirectly, you know, what what ails uh you know, China at the time. Yeah. Um very much wuxia at times, of course. There's some wires in here and you know, it handled fairly well. You know, it works as well as that. Some of that stuff's not for everyone. I, I'm certainly a fan of it. Um, I love the. I don't know if you noticed this, my wife did, um, because Detective Demon Museum like he said he looks kind of homeless and loony, kind of crazy old man, and he's got these cherry blossom petals yeah. in his eyes to like say he's blind, and yeah, the moment yes, exactly, the moment those fall out of his eyes. The camera pulls back, and all you can see all of the cherry blossom petals falling off the trees. It yeah, beautiful, just beautiful.
1: Oh yeah, that was a that was a great
0: scene. One of the things I always take away from Mark's films are the fact that he shoots movement very well. Uh, this film is no different. I mean, the martial arts aren't choreographed necessarily the greatest, but the film has a fluidity and a motion and a movement and an energy that is handled quite well. Um, Although the fights were choppy, as we said. Not to a Hollywood extent, but, you know, nonetheless. Um, And there was a lot of cool stuff in the fights. Yeah, there was a lot of cool, inventive or creative, kind of fantastical stuff that kind of made you willing to overlook how... um, But it didn't make you think Sam hung. Correct. And there's my wife now. Hang on one second here. Seeing this film reminded me how much I missed Andy Lau. I love Andy Lau. He does a lot of turd films. Um, and he's kind of been absent for a while, but I love Andy Lau. I think he has a charisma and an effortless charisma that suited the character Detective D well because he's very knowledgeable and he's kind of one step ahead of everyone. And I think Andy Lau has the the natural charisma and exudes that to be able to pull it off. Um,
1: yeah. He's one of those uh, great amalgamations of, uh, you know, a movie star and a good actor.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I thought the CGI arrows were pretty impressive, just raining in on the hut uh, by moon by moonlight. I thought it was pretty great. Um, Lee Bing Bing, I thought was pretty convincing. You know, not like a Michelle Yeoh type role where she's really a bad mama, but she held herself. She acquitted herself fairly well for being, in you know, a kind of a smaller, you know, pretty face. Um, you know, I know she's more than that, but I think it's easy to dismiss her at that on the surface. But I mean, she's she's certainly convincing in this. Um, uh, when D starts inspecting the bodies and stuff early on, it, it totally also feels like Sherlock Holmes. I mean, it really does feel like that. Um, we were almost an hour into the film before we get to the Phantom Bazaar. And, you know, you talked about it's raining logs. They're fighting tombs of the blind dead, zombies, zombies slash demons with kung fu. There's whips, there's axes. And it occurs to me that I've not been bored for a moment yet. Yeah. You know, I think that's really what I take away from this film. There's, it's very flawed, certainly, but the playful lunacy and the spectacle of it and the, the kitchen sink stuff is really what uh, had me uh, going, You know, the rompy n- nature. And I think despite it being rompy, though, you had to pay attention because part of it was it was dense in terms of some twists and turns, but also because of the shifting allegiances or the uncertainty with allegiances, uh, you had to kind of pay attention, which was good. Um, although some of it I think is poorly written and not explained well either. Um,
1: yeah, there are parts
0: that sometimes leave you scratching your
1: head. Why would this person do that? Or, but yeah, it it's pretty inconsequential in the
0: grand scheme. Yeah, it is. It's a minor quibble. Um, I love that. I, I've never heard um, uh, a woman's erogenous zone referred to as her acupoint until now. Oh, and there's my door. Hang on one second.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh. Are you back?
0: Uh, Hi, I am I back. back One oh, I got, I got, got my, my son
1: second.
0: Braden <laughs> <sighs> Okay you there?
1: Uh yeah One sec let have to Go across the room and plug in my headphones I just took a I can hear you
0: When you got back I got my son Braden with me You won't hear him On air yet Because he's uh He's four months old Today actually But He coos And whatnot. So maybe we'll get a Coo out of him Um But uh Oh, let me see,
1: hit record again here.
0: I just kept it recording. I'll just edit it out.
1: Okay, perfect. I, I'm going.
0: Okay. So, yeah, an acupoint. I never heard it referred to that. The, the lady's flower referred to. That one of her a,
1: nine
0: holes. One of her, one of, or two of her nine holes.
1: That's
0: right. Her uh, over <laughs> nine holes. <laughs> um. You know, we talk about how dodgy the CGI was, but there's a pretty decent morphing sequence, I thought. Like like a Michael Jackson black or black or white kinda.
1: I, I don't know. I it was uh decent, but yeah. You didn't
0: it was, like it. I thought it was alright.
1: It it was okay, but yeah, it kind of uh
0: You're being polite when you say that.
1: No, no, not at all. I didn't it's not anything I hated. I just saw it yeah, it looked like they put a filter, a ripple filter on it or something. Oh yeah. It, it was definitely interesting looking. Uh uh, no no. you know what I'm going to give it for sure it was uh, well done it looked very wacky
0: yeah uh, Kung Fu battle with CGI deer for the win I'll say no more um, yeah and I touched on this I have to think Sammo is good enough that you know if he's given that he was given specific instructions on how to shoot it that it wasn't you know shot to um, exhibit martial arts so much as it was just to be in a fantastical and you know it just wasn't really supposed to be a martial arts film but yeah um it's a shame that tony lung kai Fai didn't have more to do i mean he can really ham it up yeah you know but then again i mean i think you know in fairness to the film everyone acquits themselves pretty well you know i, I you know we talked about um Bing and and um uh and now i'm going to be politically incorrect the albino character uh you know also being you know quite good in the film certainly uh you know, who do you take away? I mean, everyone was adequate, more than adequate to, with the time. Chow Deng's character, uh, Pai Dong Lai. Um, um, yeah, hooks for hands are always great.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, so
1: Recalls uh, Enter the Dragon, for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, the film featured in Episode One, Rolling Thunder. Oh. Um, the The finale, speaking of Sherlock Holmes, the finale of this had a real... Sherlock Holmes vibe with this like elevator and scaffolding and you know. Uh,
1: Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Or? Yes. Oh, okay, I still haven't seen that. It's it's worth a
0: rent. Um, I won't reveal names, but the villain in this film has a PhD in Bond villainy, in yep. that he announces everything before he's going to do it.
1: Which seems so fitting in the film. It does. Honest.
0: It do, It does feel fitting because, you know. It's that kind of film. And I think, you know, like we said, you have to be willing to let things go if you're going to enjoy this. I don't think either one of us will deny this film could be nitpicked mercilessly.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: There's a lot of flaws with it. But if you're willing to go with the fun and the energy of it, I think you'll have a good time. And I'll kick it over to you. Make or break, MVT, and score.
1: I was just going to say, uh, on top of that, I, I think this film... There, There's something I hate in a lot of Hollywood films about casting... I don't know if I can say this without giving stuff away, but I think Hark does a good job. Um,
0: you know by certain actors um,
1: who they're going to be yes. and stuff like that. Um, and you know what? i got to say, I don't know if maybe for you, uh, I, I didn't guess things. Nor did I. So, you know, hats off to him. Um, yeah, totally agree. My make or break scene um, was the Chaplin fight. Uh, the fight in the spooky pandemonium, uh, known as the Phantom Bazaar. Yeah. Um. I I really got a kick out of it. I, I was enjoying the movie up till then, but that's when it sort of got kicked up a notch. Until like, until like you know, okay, this is crazy. So and I love crazy. So uh, yeah, that's when it really got kicked up to okay. This and the set pieces, like even the end set piece with the elevators and the scal- scaffolding and stuff, really fun to watch stuff um yeah it's excellent stuff my uh mvt would definitely be the go for broke attitude with the action set pieces Mm -hmm. um i do think you know there's so many times where subtleties uh commended and stuff but you know what i like bad shit crazy sometimes too and that should be commended as well when People just, you know, don't rein themselves in and just go crazy. And, yeah, I think that uh, definitely the go for broke attitude in a lot of these scenes and even just the mashing of conventions, um, I really that would be my most valuable thing. My score is seven point two five. Um, It's a very good film. Um, It's good to see Hark back in the saddle. I didn't like Zoo Warriors, but I didn't mind Seven Swords. I don't mind Time and Tide, even though Time and Tide isn't that new. Um, But I I haven't hated them. But, yeah, there was a definite uh, decline in uh, quality as he continued to work. And it was nice to see him make another film that's worth talking about. Yes. Um, uh, You know, that's worthy of... uh, repeat watch, um, and, yeah, worthy of hoping that there's a sequel or a franchise made from it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm almost spot on with everything you said. What made it for me was the scene at the Phantom Bazaar. You It know, really turned it up uh, for me, and I was already enjoying it quite a bit. having Just having fun with it, letting go and having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, MBT is the insane spectacle of the whole film. Um, it just looks great. It's really rompy. And like you said, there's something to be said for um, – um subtlety but <laughs> Hawk has none of it and the film's all the better for it despite yeah. its its flaws uh, my score is slightly better than yours. It's a 7.5. Like I said, very flawed film, but I think it's a really fun film that, you know, you could show kids, you could show people that like crazy Asian films and Mm. it kind of harkens back to that stuff, no pun intended, uh, from the 80s. So, yeah, and good to see Andy Lau back in something quality, man. Um, Absolutely.
1: Have you seen, uh, was he in, what's the one, Dragon Dynasty released? It's like a, uh, I want to say Warlords.
0: Yeah, he was in Warlords, I think, with Takeshi Kaneshiro and Jet Li.
1: Poss- possibly. Well, what is the one I'm thinking of? Anyway, uh, have you seen a lot of his recent films? I haven't really seen much. Uh
0: Protege. I have Warlords, and you know, it was one of those big. I was kind of burned out because at the time, you know, Chris, all these big pan Asian f- period yeah. films. I just they kind of started to meld together, and you know, but um. What did you think of Protege? I thought it was okay. Louis ku's uh, addict character was was a bit laughable in terms of some of the. Stuff in it, but I didn't mind it. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I,
1: I thought it was okay too. I, I enjoyed it, probably more than you. But yeah, I it is nice to see Andy Lau, and I don't know if I've ever seen him like this before.
0: Um, well, um, House of Flying Daggers. Oh yes, yes. But beyond that, yeah, I'm more used to his modern stuff. You know. Of course, the film *Infernal, Infernal Affairs. Affairs*. I mean, you know, he that film. I mean, he can do no wrong for me. I mean, that film. Uh, you know, it, it's it's one of my all-time favorites, and that that was the film that really reignited my um my love of Hong Kong film. Was seeing that film when it came out.
1: Oh, it's it's fantastic. Those guys could uh, like everyone involved in that film could just make snuff films for the rest of their life, and you know, it would be fine. It's like well. <laughs> you know, it's still awesome. He yes. did Infernal Affairs.
0: So. Yes. One people should check out that's a little bit less known of his. is called Wait Till You're Older. I like it. It's a bit old. of a big type story. I would recommend people check it out. Um, or, of course, like you and I talked about um, Running on Karma, really good film that uh, a lot of Hong Kong aficionados like, but not many beyond that have seen. Or even um, uh, Running Out of Time. Running Out of Time, Running on Karma. I said Running on Karma. I meant to say Running Out of Time.
1: Yeah, I know. I I own Running on Karma. I haven't seen it yet. Um, where
0: good. he's in the muscle suit. Muscle suit, former yeah, Buddhist monk. Johnny Toe. Johnny Toe, one of the most stranger Johnny Toe films. Uh, Have so you
1: funny. seen Mad Detective?
0: Yes. Uh, sadly, I was a little bit disappointed. I'd give it like a seven and a half, but. That's I, not that bad. You know, I'd probably give it seven, just a, bit more maybe than a that. seven. Maybe a seven. Maybe a seven. I was disappointed. And I was disappointed because, wasn't it. um. Uh, uh what's his name uh, gosh he doesn't work very much fantastic actor though um laoching Ching Lao Wan, is that right Ching Wan. i'm
1: off with names uh, Lao um, Qingwen, i think
0: it was I, can, uh, I was gonna say ingman tat but that's clearly wrong <laughs> i'm
1: gonna i'm gonna look it up on imdb and then say that i recognize the name like i'm gonna act like it was me who thought oh yeah that's right
0: uh, let me um, check
1: it as well. Yeah, Let's, it's Lao, Lao Ching Wen.
0: Yeah, it doesn't work very much. Um, but uh, f- top top actor. And that was, it should be said, was Johnny Dolan. It was co-directed by the guy that always writes for him. Um, burr, 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 burr. I'm clicking on IMDb now too to see uh, knowledge. K-K-Wai. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so there you go. Uh, so there's our scores for the films. Let's take a very short break and we're going to come back with a little bit of feedback. We will be... And it wouldn't be going to break if I didn't get cut (laughs) off. We'll be right back after this. Grom, I have never played to you before.
1: I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good podcasters or bad. Why we recorded, or why we voicemailed, all that matters is Metal Mikey stood against many. That's what's important. Valor pleases you crom so grant me one request grant me action attraction and if you do not listen let us hell with you action attraction the action movie review podcast you can find action attraction through metalmikey.lipson.com or at www.pennycult.com or by searching for action attraction in itunes
0: back. I have a baby who's getting more restless by the moment. That wasn't uh, me. And it's not Chris. Uh, before we go any further, full disclosure, I meant to say this at the top of the episode, with all the excitement over our grand <laughs> Oh, hey now. Okay. It's okay, man. It's okay. It's okay. Can I read an email? Will that be okay with you? Okay. He'll be quiet until I start reading, and then... It'll start. Full uh, disclosure: me and uh, Rick, more me than Rick, uh, feel like idiots because uh, good friend of the show, Nikki, um, who we talked about last week—or yeah, I think it was last week—being a girl. I'm like, oh yeah, Nikki's definitely a girl from *Camera Obscura*. Uh, excuse me, *Camera Obscura*. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, Nikki's definitely a girl, and of course, Nikki's not a girl. Nikki's a guy. So, Nikki, I apologize. Uh, On behalf of Rick and I More me than Rick Because Rick posed the question I answered it with a definitive uh, answer That was clearly incorrect So my apologies Um, First email Is from And there he goes Love you Love you you, mama Uh, Yeah I'm going to close the door I'll get it I'll get it stumbling and bumbling along as we go here uh yeah so this is from a good friend of the show scott and i know both of us have been very good friends uh of scott's new show and fans as well um married with clickers which is yeah just
1: listen to the runaway train episode it
0: was good very good episode uh and he writes upcoming sorcerer ep which is still in fact a true statement um Hey, gents. Scott in Toronto here. I'm really stoked that you two will be covering Sorcerer, one of the true overlooked gems of the 70s, at least as far as Hollywood studio releases go. Scheider really is the bomb. His work in the 70s from Clute right up to All That Jazz was really incredible. He made weaker choices in the 80s, but was often the best thing about any of the films in which he appeared. Friedkin could have been one of the top five of all time, but he had bad luck and just couldn't get along with the studios feel really bad for the guy and, and this is coming from someone who paid cash to see deal of the century in theaters as an 11 year old hey i thought it would be like vacation as well as blue chips and then he says uh parenthetically i was back packing through turkey at the time and needed to find somewhere that was air conditioned as you may have noticed my avatar on the forums is yves Montan from wages of fear uh, j'adore set the film *Oulala*. la la I'm certain that you, too, will give some context regarding that film, and to be honest, I was kind of hoping you would cover the two films as a double-deuce episode. I know that comparing originals to remakes isn't really your thing, but both of these films work so well that they almost exist as companion pieces. Perhaps one day you'll cover the original. The Wages of Fear is now on blue from Criterion, and it's on my wish list. I'd like to wait for Sorcerer to get a Blu-ray release, a place in order for both of them. I'm about to take off my commute home, and I've got the Brian Trenchard-Smith interview loaded onto my iPod. You two never cease to amaze me. Always some wonderful trick up your sleeves. Stay gold, Scott. Are you there?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what you guys say about Sorcerer as well. Uh, I I have a feeling you like it. It's a great one, and uh, definitely Wages of Fear... It's one of the ones, and I love Wages of Fear too. But I, I think I, we were talking about this. So I like Sorcerer a little bit better. Um, have you seen Wages of Fear?
0: No, I've not. Shamefully, um, there's a bunch of that French stuff: uh, Rafifi, um, uh, br- br- br, something Grisby, N'atouche pas. Oh, what the fuck's it called? Uh, anyway, there's a bunch of that stuff that I, I'm uh, un, I'm familiar with, but I'm I have not seen that. I've been on the process of remedying. And in fact, we're going to do Max and the junk men on, on an up upcoming episode. So,
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I think the only reason I did see wages of fear, like was cause I'm, was such a huge sorcerer fan. So, but yeah. And Roy Scheider, uh, definitely he's an actor who I, I love and he's, he's popped up in interesting films. I remember, uh, he was in Romeo's bleeding. um, he also, I liked him quite a bit in Eric Redd, the guy who uh, did The Hitcher and Road Near Dark. Uh, he mm. did one called Cohen and Tate with uh, oh, yeah. my bodyguard, Adam Baldwin. That's uh, right, I know that. that. As well. um, and yeah, I'd like he, Shatter, even in his uh, lesser roles, was still rock solid. Uh, there goes that word again, in all of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a guy that's really overlooked, I think, as far as when we talk about great 70s guys. You look at his body work, talked about him. There's some great stuff in there, and one that we've mentioned before on the show with another GGTMC favorite, Richard Lynch, that I cannot recommend highly enough, a super cool film, The Seven Ups. It's got one of the best card chases hardly anyone talks about. Have you seen that film, Chris? Uh,
1: No, I haven't. I haven't watched it yet, though.
0: Really good stuff, man. Um, But yeah, so that's good stuff, and as always, Scott, uh, keep up the great work, and it's always good... To hear from you. Um, next email is from, um, let me see who it's from as I stumble along here. Uh, that's actually from Nick, Nikki from Camera Obscura, correcting us. Uh, so, again, Nikki, my apologies. Uh, Mr. McLarge Huge sent us some feedback in voicemail form. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, okay, so, this is from Carl. Carl says, "Gents, um, just listened to your interview with Brian Trenchard-Smith. Fantastic stuff. It really is a joy to listen to and discuss in the finer points of the filmmaking process. Um, very flattered to hear you chose one of my questions for the episode and equally humbled by Brian's thoughtful reply. And there he is making his GG TMC debut. <laughs> and he's naked, no less. That's how I usually record, but... uh He's like, oh. like a young, distressed Axl Rose. Oh, I was gonna say, did you just have a chest burster come through? Yeah, no kidding. It does sound like a chest burster <laughs> a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, and then he says, uh, I won't read out his mailing address. I don't think he'd appreciate that. But he does say being a fan of the trailers from Hell website uh, and the work of Dante and BTS specifically. I'm really stoked. Thanks again. More to come, Carl. So. Yeah, I don't think
1: I've mentioned it to you, but that was a great interview. I think you guys have done uh, two interviews so far, and they really uh, – they seem very – the way you guys do them, uh, it doesn't seem very, I guess, formal. The informal way you guys handle it and stuff really makes uh, both that and the one you did with uh, Barry Prima. Uh, Peter O'Brien. Did, did oh, Peter O'Brien, yes. Peter O'Brien um,
0: is on the wish list, but
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, from his uh, Mondo Macabro yes. uh, extras, I don't know if he would be a joy to interview. But oh no, wow, yeah. oh, interesting. Oh, you see, he doesn't seem like a happy man. Seems like a um, t- at least in the one one uh, interview I heard. But you guys do fantastic with, um, interviewing. It, it they're really great interviews to listen to.
0: Oh, thanks, man. I know. You know, Roop obviously does some great ones, too. But, yeah, we did O'Brien. We also did Mike Malloy. Um, We did, um, of -hmm. course, uh, CDB back in the day. So, yeah, uh, Mark from CDB. So, yeah, we like doing them when we can. It's just a hard thing to do scheduling-wise. Next one is from the man with probably the most famous Pope's nose in the land. You know him. You love him. Metal Mikey. And he says, Jesse the Body Rocks. will rick and rupert and in this case chris Uh, i polished off the my body rock episode and was completely entertained but you all know me and i'm rarely at a loss for thoughts that scatter all over the commentary map so about how do i get to them including one long and involved one that's what she said but my pope's (laughs) nose why rup why the Polyshore viewing run i'll be a semi sympathizer francino man but my good sir is this some form of cinematic sadomasochism on your part Will, what happened with your wife and your mutual viewing of Suspiria was very similar to a reaction I had upon recommending a viewing of said film to a former co-worker. I remember suggesting she give it a shot, and come the fine weekend, I was told it looked gorgeous, but she found it boring. Rick, where's the registry for your anti-3D film army? Uh, my bodyguard, never seen it, but how strange is it that I do have a memory about this film? It was one of my earliest <laughs> bought trade paperbacks of Mad Magazine. Movie parodies that I caught their treatment of said film that I remember even much about the parody piece aside from the fact that I had artwork from one of my favorite mad old schoolers, Jack Davis. Will, if I am to take this correctly, Body Rock will give me and other viewers the clap? Well, I guess I got to get it somewhere, somewhere these days. Um, <laughs> finally, on the extended subject of Val Kilmer, brought on by Zom's review of The Gun, starring one fat Val and Fitty Cent. I'm no fat Val sympathizer, but I firmly believe the last movie he was in that he felt like he really gave a damn about was kiss, kiss, bang, bang, but it's weird that Val does bring a lot of business to my hometown. That's right, between this and Chaos Experiment, this was the second Val vehicle to be most mostly filmed in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There was even a big to-do with the film's rapping about how Fiddy loves this place so much he wants to take residence in the town. And then he says, maybe that would actually get my city out of the economic shithole. I can remember being around the downtown area of GR during one of the big shooting days for the gun. Getting up to that Sunday, most of the parking meters were blocked off for shooting notices. Uh, that Sunday, as part of my late last year's epic run of Crappy Dates, I went out to see Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest at a local art theater. In the distance, I kept hearing these loud kapow, pow, pow noises. I just figured it was one of the seemingly never-ending building construction jobs. Nope. Turned out it was the filming of a heist shootout sequence for the gun. So at the very least, while Val may not be putting much effort into his acting and probably putting more mozzarella sticks into his belly, his films keep bringing jobs and credentials to my little neck of the woods, which isn't so bad. Anyways, I'm wrapping this up and taking this shit all the way to the bowl. Don't know if I ever said that on the show. Take it easy, gentlemen, and I shall wrap back at you again soon. Sincerely, Metal Mikey, who still has that date with Laura Jemser in Erotic Nights of the Living Dead for Valentine's Day. (laughs) Nice.
1: Yeah, he, uh, Belle Kilmer, I, I, did you ever see, uh, the movie with him, The Thaw? The Thaw? Uh, Thaw, oh, The Thong. that would be amazing. (laughs) Fat Val. Fat Val and The Thaw, just (laughs) sitting, eating hamburgers. Uh, The Thaw, T-H-A-W, yes, I can spell Thaw, um, a horror movie, uh, Ghost House Underground released, which I actually, I, I quite enjoyed, I thought He's sort of uh, a mad scientist
0: in it. Oh, wow. Is he really chewing it up?
1: Uh, he doesn't do it as badly as he does in some. I remember Mind Hunters that uh, Rennie oh. Harlan one. He really hammed it up in that. Um, but yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He was
0: fantastic in. Never seen it, man. It just it, didn't look appealing movie. to me, but I've heard a lot of great things about it.
1: it it's definitely a good movie. I, I know I, I enjoyed it more than some. Some people kind of consider... Uh, Robert Downey Jr., a little uh, smarmy in it or something. But, yeah, I thought it was funny, and Val Kilmer was, yeah, it probably was the last role you could just straight up say he was excellent in. I remember the Sultan C. Yeah,
0: that wasn't a
1: bad film. I think that's a movie, it doesn't happen very often, that was ruined by the direction for me anyway. It seemed like there was a solid story in there, but the director just wouldn't let it be told. I I love the idea of a man you know, sort of condemning himself to this lifestyle for revenge. Um, and, yeah, it seemed like he was more interested in quirky correctly.
0: Yeah, that was the one with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio with the pig nose, right?
1: Yeah, 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 that that's one. But, yeah, definitely a great story. I'd love to see a remade by someone who's more interested in the
0: story than making a demo reel. Yeah, no kidding, man. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, there you go, more Val love. Well, I guess a lot of love on this show. Um, Trenchard, Smith, and Kier is the title of the next email. It's from very good friend Alan from Denmark. Alan says, Hi, gents. I really enjoyed the Brian Trenchard-Smith interview. The man has made some good movies, and it was a joy to hear his passion for the uh, making of movies. I actually got a couple of my favorites of his in the mail a couple weeks ago, uh, Day of the Panther and Strike of the Panther. Hope the DVDs look good or at least better than the old VHS tapes I have so I can get rid of the old VHS. So going through the older episodes, and Udo Kier came up in the Far Cry talk. Rarely do you see an actor that can go from working artsy directors like uh, Von Trier to doing straight-to-video movies as effortlessly as Kier. I don't know if he needs the paychecks or if he lives for making movies good or bad, or really, really bad. Anyways, here's a couple of Keir movies you should check out. Critical Mass, Keir and Treat Williams, during this diehard-inspired movie that borrows, steals, scenes from Terminator 2 and Universal Soldier. Wow. You'll hardly notice that the T2 stuff is not made for Critical Mass. I mean, of course, a small machine gun can do the same damage to police cars as a Gatling gun, can't it? Uh, Doomsdayer, Denmark has given... Great gifts to Hollywood, in my opinion, Sven Oli Thorson, and the long-legged super talent of acting that is Bridget Nielsen. Well, in this classic movie, Brigitte and Kier play husband and wife. I know what you're thinking. With great actors like these, it's probably a boring real-life drama about the struggles of relationships and whether they should buy a new minivan. Wrong! In fact, it's a great story of the struggles with getting quality henchmen and buying a doomsday device. Sounds like a winner to me. Keep up the good work. Regards, Al.
1: Wow, that Udo Kieran treat Williams in a Die Hard ripoff? That's uh, a must-see.
0: That sentence has sold me. Good old treat. He's always a treat to see. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, those both sound great. Uh, I'm going to look them both up. Uh, let me see if we got any other uh, emails here. That's it. No, that's not it. I lied. I lied to everyone. Okay, here's the last. I should have sent an email this week. Sorry? I was just saying, it would be funny if I sent in an email this week. Yeah, it would have been. um, This one's longer. Uh, Um, This is from good friend Tim, ghetto Tim. It's a eulogy for Tura. Gents, today as I sit here on a Sunday staring at a cup of black coffee, I'm still shaking my head. Some of you already know we lost another great matron saint of genre cinema. I speak of none other than the one and only black mistress, Tura Satana. When I first heard of Tura's passing, the words failed me, but sitting down with a pot of coffee, I started to write a fitting eulogy for this wonderful lady. If it's too long to read, I understand, but thought I'd share it. Adios, ghetto Tim. Good night, Varla. Tura Satana, rest in peace. It opens with a quote. A strong woman is a woman determined to do something. Others are determined not to be done. And not be done. And that's uh, by Marge Piercy. And it says, Today stands as a truly solemn day with the passing of Tura Satana. For many of us, she was an indestructible black rose, thorns and all, ready to stomp a path through anyone or anything in her way. Every woman wanted to be here, and every man had masochistic thoughts of being under her boot heels. While she stood as tough as they come on screen and off, she had to be. Tura was a survivor of many tribulations in life that few can say they could endure, but that she did. Those of us lucky enough who got to briefly know Tura knew she had loved her dogs and any animals in need far more than most people. She was a sweetheart who always had a kind word regardless of her situation and always thought highly of her fans. Tura faced despicable racism growing up in an American intern camp due to her Asian heritage. She was also sexually assaulted at a young age and ran with several gangs in her youth. Regardless of her chaotic struggle as a young woman, she never looked back and carved herself a path to Hollywood, starting as a photo model for silent film star Harold Lloyd. Tura would eventually gain fame as an exotic dancer and dated Elvis for a time. She was proud that she could turn the head of the boy from Memphis. Uh, in fact, I think he proposed to her, and he declined as an aside to that. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I remember reading that. Most know Tura from her role as Sea Devil Varla in Russ Meyer's 1965 magnum opus, Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. From one role, Tura established herself as a rule breaker, a backbreaker, a one-woman army, who would stomp you into desert dirt just for looking at her. On and off the set, Meyer even stated that she was not a lady to be fucked with. Well, she didn't hold a number of while well, she didn't hold a number of roles in her career. Uh Tura's influence far outweighed her cinematic output. It's no stretch to say that she clearly established a new place for real women in cinema. You didn't have to be a ditzy blonde, a pretty face like Audrey Hepburn, or a helpless lass tied to the train tracks. Women were now seen as being strong, opinionated, and total shit kickers if need be. In terms of genre cinema, Tura paved the way for future names like Pam Greer, Sybil Danning, and Diane Thorne. Thanks to drawing a new line in the desert sand, Tura leveled the exploitation playing field and gave the ladies a chance to show they were just as tough as the boys and could bust the balls of all the swinging dicks in Hollywood. At the time of her passing, a documentary on her life was in production and will hopefully be released in the new future, for many more to appreciate the wonderful lady and her work. According to her manager, Tura passed due to heart failure, but she never stopped. She never failed in stomping a place deep inside all of ours. Thank, for, thank you, Tura, you beautiful bitch. We will remember you. So, yeah, that was a fantastic uh, eulogy, Tim, uh, put together there for, uh, for Tura.
1: Absolutely. Bert, a lot of
0: information
1: in it, too, I didn't quite know.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, great. Great, great stuff. Um, last one uh, is from... It's from someone that's not for the air, But uh, James, uh, it's your email. And James, we will get you uh, what you need, rest assured. And that's it, man. That's our, that's the big show for this week, the uh, the maple-tinged episode. Um, I guess it's time for me to do pleasantries. Uh, so, as always, head over to palaver.com. Check out our sister shows, OTC, Show Show, and all of our friends over there at Palaver. Uh, beyond that, check out Paleo Cinema, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, Hamakist, where the Zom is going to co-host this week uh, with Bri. So it's uh, it's going to be great. Check out Married with Clickers, and, of course, the Criterion cast, uh, paracinema.net for the genre magazine, uh, the GGTMC.blogspot.com. That is, of course, our blog. I've been trying forever to get a piece together with Aaron on Kenneth Anger, Aaron, I promise one day it'll get done, man. I just it just seems to be eluding me to no end. Um, other blogs, of course, these are all blogspot.com, pickle loaf, uh, I didn't say I said I was gonna wasn't gonna mention the loaf because he's uh, hasn't been writing anything. Uh, Uber Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Lightning Bugs Lair, Fist of B List, Stinking Paws, Scared Shiftless in Shasta moon in the gutter and Sergio Leone in the infield fly rule head over to CDB that's cinema-de-bizarre for all your hard to find genre needs promo code gentlemen for 10% off your orders head over to omg-entertainment.com promo code there is ggtmc10 for 10% off your orders Uh, as always as we said camera obscura pink Ega are coming down the pipes look out for their titles very soon Uh, head over to iTunes iTunes leave us a glowing review. Facebook us all, friend us all. You can get in on the fun over there. Uh, Twitter is, uh, dot com backslash GGTMC, Large William, Uncool Cat, uh, Bob Freelander, and Pickle Loaf 10. That's the number 10. That motherfucker still hasn't given up, uh, the Pickle Loaf name yet to him. And if you want to donate, we do have a donate button. You can send us, uh, millions of dollars and we will appreciate it in millions of ways. Uh, that's it. That's all next week. We are going to finally be covering sorcerer and forced entry. Um, <clears throat> Chris, I want to take this opportunity to thank you very much. Uh, as always, you are the coolest of uncool cats. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I'm not going to reveal what it is yet because I got a very good friend of the show, John from V cinema and they've just celebrated their year, uh, anniversary. Um, so I think people need to get over and congratulate them on that feat. Um, nice. Yeah, John, Josh, and Rufus do a great job. Uh, John's helped me put together a promo for something you're going to be a part of. I will say this. Uh, we're going to be putting together our first Quintillo GGT GGTMC episode. I will say no more, but this director has been long overdue for our show. And, um, yeah, thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show, man. It's been a blast.
1: Thanks for having me. I always love talking movies with you and uh, Rick, but not like
0: rick was here but yeah you guys you talk a mean game <laughs> yes well uh, i think that's it um so you know what that means it's time to say one word it's time to sign off and with that i will say adios adios
1: thanks for listening you can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com
0: you can call the gentleman at 206 206- And you can email the gentleman
1: at midnightcinema at gmail.com